Welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's stuck like glue to my God. Every my God. Episode. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to be your backup. Continue. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> what if we just got like audio of every single like This Had Oscar Buzz guest that we've ever had doing. And just one. did a whole rendition. We did a full Imagine video. But Can I be the squeaky nun that goes, I gave my God my word of honor? Can I be that <laughs> like one? Bounces up. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. She's fabulous. She's like definitely the one that they had to, you know, goad on to be like, you're doing great, Sister Mary Beelzebub. You, you've got it. Um, <laughs> not Sister Mary Beelzebub. <laughs> I had to come up with something quickly. We're not still here talking about Sister Act like we do. Unfortunately. We, every week on this head Oscar Prize, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my French bonfire chorus ladies, Joe Reed. Do you like, oh, fuck. I like that fuck. smooth I looked... transition, transition I did between movies? I fucking looked that up, too, and now I totally don't have it anymore of the, oh, what words they're saying in the song. Um, Because I was going to come in, and then I totally <laughs> lost it. It's, uh, um, oh, I have it here. It's, uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. where is it? Honestly, if Eloise hadn't, uh, uh, should I be saying Eloise or Heloise this episode? Either way, if she hadn't caught fire, they were about to start a like a fucking fierce step routine because they have the clapping they have the increasing yeah. like chant like it was about to become france's premier step league it's fougere non passum i knew passum was in there um Do and they're doing the clap, clap, clap what are they saying clap. it means they come fly oh okay. so it's a it's a, a nietzsche quote apparently so got it the higher we soar the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly so there we go. How nice. Yes. Um, excited to talk about this movie. Uh, first movie, I think, in a while that we've talked about that we saw together. I was just about to ask you. I was thinking about that as I was filling up my water. Um, I was like, did we see this shoulder to shoulder Anna Paquin and J. Smith Cameron style? Just sort of <laughs> coming to coming to emotional peaks at the same time. Yeah. I do think I was that embarrassing person that like when it hard cut to black was like, oh, <laughs> I think you did make a noise. I do feel Echoing like that was, that was through the bowels of the Winter Garden Theater. Rest in peace. I know. Uh, not rest in, that it the... still exists. 
things still happen there, but Tiff no longer uses Was that the last thing I saw at the Winter Garden? No, I saw Marriage Story, I feel like, at some point also. And that was later in that week. That was that week. I also saw, I believe this was this Tiff. Is that when the Corrieta movie with Deneuve and Benoche was there? Was that the year? That I saw at the Lightbox. I don't know whether you were not with me at that one, so you might have seen it at a different place. Let me pull up my little sketch and be a big Tiff nerd like we always are. Let's see. My last thing that I ever saw at the Winter Garden was, as I scroll back, Backwards. Da, 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 da. Dead air. Super fun. As I, super it fun. was Marriage Story. Yeah, Marriage Story was the last thing I saw at the Winter Garden. It was just that and Portrait of a Lady on Fire were the two things that I saw there. Maybe it was Marriage year. Story. Maybe it was The Truth is the film. The Truth, which the, truth. I, uh, the thing that I loved about that tiff is I caught Corrieta at the light box sneaking into the line for his own movie i feel like i've told this story before on my i don't think you have so please do but like i'm i'm at like 2 p.m going to the light box like amazing thing to get some gummy worms and a wine uh like a the mess i am uh especially during a tiff is that your light box snack of choice gummy gummy worms and a wine no i just feel like that that concession stand is so strange, but I do. I've tend never to just, actually like, gone to that concession stand. It's always so like full. Gotta say, sorry, Lightbox, not to like knock you, but like not really good popcorn at the Lightbox. Uh oh. In my do opinion, do better. Could improve. Do um, better, Bell. But then you get a wine, and they give you a little plastic lid. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the like major cue as they're about to let a movie in is like adjacent to you standing in line at the lightbox yes. uh, concession stand, and I look over and I see ever so slyly tucked into the line that I know Amazing. is for the truth because you have like uh you know uh, uh, ushers and volunteers being like the truth yes. for like two forty five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I look over, I'm like, that is Corrieta. <laughs> How did this man do that? Like, surely you show up to a Corrieta movie, you know what Corrieta looks like. I couldn't pick the man out of a lineup, but I'm like, I probably couldn't pick 60% of directors out of lineups, even a, ev- like, unless they're like the most famous ones. Well, and like, I had just seen him the previous yeah. night introducing yeah. his movie. And yeah. like you can like, tell, I couldn't that tell he's you what like, Celine Siama looks like. Could not tell you. Oh, I think she has a very distinct look. We'll talk about Celine. Obviously, we will talk about Celine Siama. Yeah. Anyway, all of this to say, you could tell he was like leaning in to hear what people were saying. I don't know if it's like this is just I what love he does. It. I at, love it. At like sneak into like a festival to see like are people excited for his movie? Like what are they talking? Amazing. I don't Amazing. I love that so much. That's a good story. I like that story. Um, This is our third Patreon Selects film that we're doing. Yes, we kicked it off with Heat last month, and then all throughout January, which I think we did this last year. We need to make sure this doesn't happen again. Next year, we also have class of 2023 right, ending right. this month. So our Patreon right. selects month is going to be like a month and a half. And, that's you know, fine. That's we also fine, have Danny. another one on deck, too. So it's like maybe we'll get them all done by mid-February. 
January is a busy month. We're going to have class of 2023. We're also going to have our mini bonus episode on Sundance that'll be coming out uh, at some point. So lots to look forward to. Sure, sure. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the very beginning of February. We'll see what all I can see. They, you can tell that the, I am just virtual press for Sundance. I think they're like squeezing that out. I think they're squeezing the life out of virtual press. They definitely are because like, of the virtual stuff that's available, anything that's in competition needs to be virtually available. Yeah. For the press, um, at least, and I think for the public as well. Like, the maybe two or three big tickets among that, uh, immediately gone. And I bet as soon as it was available. So I think think there's not a whole lot they're not giving a lot of access to a lot of people on top I feel like of... that's even been their tone in, like, public statements about, like, we want this to be an in-person festival. I think they were very concerned, and perhaps rightly so, about it becoming a more of a virtual festival. Because, like, you like getting to Park City can be a pain in the ass. And it right. comes at a very sort of inconvenient time of the year. And I think they're, they're probably, they probably want to retain that you got to be here to to see it here the uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere and you know you can't entirely blame them for I mean, that so. it's a double edged sword it is i uh, you know it's good to have to have things be accessible to audiences mm-hmm. however like that accessibility comes and goes because like the price point yes. for one movie to watch virtually from sundance is 25 dollars yeah. 25 dollars to yeah, rent a movie once through a festival. That to me does yep. not say accessibility. Right. Um, right. But also, like, we've gone through a few. Although, years what are public of... tickets when you go to a festival in person? Too, you know what I mean? Like, that's right. Right. Um, that would be cheap, I think, if I were going to like TIFF on a public. You know what I mean? Buying public tickets. So it depends on when you see something. Too. That's true. There's that's a sliding true. scale to everything. But like yeah. when I was seeing ninety dollar. tickets this year that's that get it together that's not Mm -hmm. no one can go to that like that right that's that's expensive for theater that's expensive for like i would balk at that for most theater i am a frugal i i'm a fairly frugal uh live theater person and like generally i i don't shell out for a hundred dollars unless it's something major you know what i mean that i'm gonna really try and go for something in the like sub 75 range if i can and like that's even insane you know what i mean it's that's right. even insane but like yeah all this to say when we saw portrait of a lady on fire with a really amped crowd a crowd that, that knew that what they were crowd. in for and was excited guarantee you they did not pay 90 dollars a ticket right. to right. see that movie in like right. the perfect setting to see that movie the winter garden theater like Truly Beautiful is wonderful theater. to see TIFF movies at yeah. when they still were when there. They were there. Yeah. I don't think they're there anymore because the city <laughs> kind of wanted them to rein it in. You know, there's probably benefits to the city of Toronto for a festival. That you're not tying up traffic on Yonge Street like for sure. two mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um this first screening that we saw it after like it had gotten this great reception at Cannes. Mm-hmm. incredible reviews among the best of the festival oh a best of best of that whole year period like i feel like y- yes was... but specifically that can yeah. which was like a yeah. great can 
and launched, you know, major movies that we spent the whole year talking about. We'll talk about it. We'll yeah. talk about it. Um, this, I think, came into the fall with one of the best reputations, the most anticipation for mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. people that were paying attention to all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did not disappoint. It didn't. It really didn't. And like you said, the atmosphere was really, really great for it. And I, I just, I feel like I remember the ovation. And it was first night of TIFF was, it wasn't like the opening night film, but like it was definitely a major, you know, part of that first night of the festival. And, um, it was great. It was a great way to kick it off. You mentioned not remembering Celine Siama. I that was like one of my favorite intros I've maybe ever seen to a movie and not for like any specific thing I can remember her saying, but just a quality of she could tell that it was an audience that was very excited for her movie. And rather than like being kind of self-effacing about it, she kind of met that with this swagger that was just I need to get better at living in the moment like that all of the anytime any intro before a movie at a festival is like that all i am doing is being like all right let's go let's get this let's get this movie on the road you know what i mean intros are boring well and it's also just like i get you've talked about i think you made mention on this podcast once before about like i have a very tunnel vision task oriented way that i sort of go about my life sometimes where it's just sort of like this is the thing that we are doing right now. We need to focus on doing this thing right now. And it's just like, now is the time to see movie. Make me see movie. You know what I mean? There are, it's like, there are... I'm bad at noticing the periphery, and and I maybe need to get better at that. Well, no, 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 no. I, th- I, think, I think you're perfectly fine, especially in the circumstance that we're talking about. But also, like, to, to your fair point... I have seen intros at that yeah. festival that it takes a full... 15 to 20 minutes where they're bringing out 15 cast members movie. yes plus to the, give like, an applause break to every single cast yeah. member yep and especially yep. if you're like i have to hustle to a movie the second the credit yeah. start please get a move on and yet on the flip side of that what a lovely moment for those people you know what i mean it's just like right. so, I, so it's yes. I, I i feel bad sort of being you know uh complaining about that because it's like I didn't make a movie. You know what I mean? These people made a movie and like, if they're getting their like moment, it's a premiere. The whole audience is there for it. Like you're going to do the same thing after the movie though. Well, also that. I mean, like I think pre movie is a good time to do like a director's statement type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 But the thing, (laughs) what's really compelling is when the um, festival programmers, and again, I love festival programmers. In another life, right. I'd probably be one. Um, go out and like really give you the like the IMDb filmography of the filmmaker <laughs> who you're about to see, and then, like I'm like hitting you eight movies deep or whatever. And it's like and and mentioning every single time they were at you know that particular festival, and it's like yep, yep, I know the movies this person has made as well. Um, but again, there are people for whom that is illuminating. So I need to get out of my own experience and i don't know this is 2024 is going to be more holistic joe we'll see how long that lasts but um 
I'm going to be be one with the world. I'm going to be <laughs> of the world. What's the question? What's the quote in Angels in America? Um, you have to be of the world and not in the world, or or, or is it the other way around? I can't remember. I don't know, um, but I'm positive that this is something that's said to Lewis, and I mean that 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 it's might there. Be correct it's when they're you. at the end. It's at the end when they're at uh, in Central Park, and um, and they're all sort of reading the newspaper headlines or whatever. It's during that scene. Um. Anyway, accurate that you would be the Lewis. Um. Wow. Wow. That he's is not... reading me. We are a week into the new year and he's reading me. I also think I'm a bit of a Lewis. Didn't used to be. I definitely am now as an adult in my 30s. Uh... <laughs> I think it's hard not to be once you hit that certain age. That's, a, that's true. Maybe yeah. maybe this is also just what, you know, the 2020s, the 20, the the teens have yeah. done to us as an adult populace. We've all become... Uh, Lewis Ironson. Lewis Ironson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, here we go. I mean, here he, we go. he had the original poster's disease. Because oh, like all of yes. his monologuing, it's just that like whole the man scene has with poster's disease without is, even a social media account. It absolutely is poster's disease. You're absolutely right. Wow. Well put. Anyway, we, anyway. we've already, in our Portrait of a Lady on Fire episode, gotten into <laughs> Hirokazu Koreeda, Angels in America. Concession back stands. On, truly back on our bullshit in the most back on our bullshit kind of a way. Like, honest to God. Joe, uh, yes. speaking of our bullshit, why don't uh-huh. you tell our listeners about our Patreon that they can subscribe to? Oh, you guys, if you are not currently signed up as a member of the This Head Oscar Buzz Patreon family, I'm just going to say family, um, no better time to do it than with the new year. You can kick off your new year on a good note. For $5 a month, you can be a part of this head Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance, which is what we are calling our uh, Patreon uh, membership. Uh, With that $5 a month, you will get access to, first of all, two bonus episodes per month. One of those episodes, uh, we're calling these the exceptions. These are the movies that we would have done for regular flagship this head Oscar Buzz, but they got an Oscar nomination or two, even though they follow the very same pattern of uh, great Oscar expectations and disappointing Oscar results. So uh, we've talked about films like, uh, very recently, Charlie Wilson's War, a movie I've been talking about. Oh my God, I wish we could do Charlie Wilson's War like since the day we launched this podcast. So uh, we finally got to do that. Um, the Mirror Has Two Faces. We couldn't let the Barbara um, autobiography come by without uh, getting our own little taste of Barbara. Slash, we I would have about... just made it, uh, uh, I would have just soapbox yeah. grandstand uh, about it anyway. I've I've finally, um, I'm making my way through the audiobook, of, which is, it seems like... Take your time, take your time. It's so painful when it's over. It's, and and just even, we've gotten as far as I believe I don't even think she's gotten the Tony nomination yet for um uh I can get it for you wholesale, but like it's about to happen. Um she's talking about Elliot Gould, but I feel like I've gotten such a comprehensive knowledge of the foods that she likes and the colors that she hates, which is just such a rich tapestry. Coffee of... ice cream. Also Coffee ice cream. I love the color off white. Um, well, it's not that's even that. It's just like, Barbara. and that's well. She'll tell a whole story, and she's like, "I think that's why I've always hated the color royal blue." And <laughs> it's just like every single story from her childhood 
<laughs> is like, that's probably why I don't deal very well with people who are late. And it's just like, oh my God, this is perfect. Um, every little bit of her like uh, idiosyncrasies comes chalked up to like some little childhood story or whatever. It's great. She'll, it's she'll great. read someone's compliment to her and go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gotten to the amount of uses of the phrase at the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to support you that you start chanting along when she says no, it. No, no. Okay, no. It's coming soon go. because she just sa- she she says it. Little did I know. Little did I know has the, has appeared a lot. Little did I know also gets the studio audience chanting along. Anyway, <laughs> little did I know we had a Patreon. Let's get back. Yes. Uh, our uh, second episode of every month is going to be an excursion where we're going to go a little bit more off- off topic, off format. We're going to talk about uh, award roundtables, those uh, those uh, lovely annual gatherings of nominees and prospective nominees to talk about whatever. I was just texting with you and Katie last night about how I think I'm more excited for the actors roundtable than I am for the actress roundtable this year, just from the clips that I I've seen. Agree. What a world of difference it makes with like two Weird. gay actors on a panel, like with Andrew Scott and Coleman Domingo. It's like. It's it's a breath of fresh air. I love it so much. Um, we've talked about the 1996 MTV Movie Awards. We'll be doing other old movie awards. Uh, we'll be dipping in to talk about the award, the current year's awards race, as we uh, much like to do. Uh, Chris went to Magic Mike Live. We talked about that. Coming up, we've got the 2018 Hollywood Reporter Directors Roundtable. Chris, remind me who's in that lineup. Uh, a lot of people that we're already talking about in this Oscar race that I think will be interesting. Yorgos Lanthimos is there. Um, uh, Ryan Coogler, I believe, is there. It'll nice. Be nice. Fantastic. So, like I said, it's $5 a month. We will also be giving you access to patron-only polls, some of which will help us determine what movies we're going to be talking about. The Lovely Bones was a patron's choice that we... Uh, that we covered quite happily. We are also doing periodic um, hotline phone calls that we uh, we have a we have a number that you can call and leave us a voice message and ask us a question and we will chime in every uh, now and then with answers to that. That has been very fun. Um, you can be. Uh, what's the status of our sponsor tier, Chris? Are there are, are there? It's already full, but you never know. Uh, maybe it won't be tomorrow. All right. Um, and that is, of course, the sponsors are the ones who are giving us our uh, marching orders this month. So, uh, uh, Gary's, we love you so much. And um, little did I know, if I joined the sponsor tier, and I did it for three consecutive months, I could choose an episode for the main feed. Wow. Oh my gosh. So go over Maybe to Maybe this is uh, why, you know, my father, he was a sponsor of many things. He was a very difficult man. Um uh patreon.com slash this had Oscar Buzz. You can go and sign up if you haven't already. If you have already, uh party. Let's 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 have a good let's have a great 2024. Looking forward have to it. Have fun in the comment section over there. Yes. Sound off. So, uh, Chris, uh, this episode, as we've mentioned, was selected by one of our uh, sponsored tier patrons. And uh, this was from Audrey. Would you like to read Audrey's words of encouragement as we go to talk about this film? We'll also be sharing the sponsor who selected the films during our Patreon Select series. We'll be telling you their Oscar origin story, much like we do for guests on the show. Uh, Audrey didn't really share an origin story 
but did, uh, you know, talk a little bit about female directors. We'll get into it this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audrey says about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, this is one of my two favorites from 2019, as I was lucky enough to get to go to Telluride for the first time. And was one of the reasons I thought I was becoming an educated cinephile. Spoilers, I am not an educated cinephile. <laughs> I just like gorgeous directing and lesbian love stories. Audrey, absolute same. Uh, let us know what you think about Telluride. If you think it is wonderful and great, I apologize for all of All the, the shit-talking. All of the shade the I have thrown at that festival. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you had an amazing time, Audrey. Yeah. Uh, this would have been a great time to go to Telluride. I mean, this was a good enough TIFF, but like a lot of things that were also big at this TIFF uh, launched at um, at Telluride too, because Parasite was also there. Uh, Judy was there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God, this was also the year of Waves. Remember Waves? I do remember Waves. I was just scrolling through my my, uh, Tiffer and I saw Waves in there. I was like, oh, right. We can't can't get into the rumors about the Trey Edward Schultz with the Weekend movie in case that it is not verified. But if it is verified, I am going to... Yeah. Maybe burn down the Warner Brothers lot. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so mad about it. I'm so it, Don't go it's crazy. It's just a rumor. Chris. I can't you get you're, this you're, mad you're, about a God rumor. God forbid. Don't go crazy. God forbid something actually happens at the Warner's lot and they'll come down They'll come door. and get me. Little yeah. did I know that night there was a fire at the Warner Brothers lot. Fuck up. Wow. Makes me think Little of the did time. I know my, the dry conditions my... in Los Angeles were conspiring to have a fire at the Warner Brothers lot. Maybe that's I know why I'm making I her don't a lot like more the uh Brothers lot. I don't I'm know. making her a lot more like someone's ma down in. Uh, I tried to I... get them to have coffee ice cream at the Warner Brothers lot, but um, no one would listen. And that's why I've never liked turquoise. Um, <laughs> actual quote. Actual quote. She also went on for literally three full actual minutes about uh, uh, Sto- Swanson's uh, TV dinners. Yes, yes. Okay, so the other thing, we've said this to our listeners multiple times, you know, we're evangelizing about the Barbara audiobook as much as we've evangelized about a thousand and one. What else have we evangelized about this year? Um, But friend and former guest Kevin Jacobson started after I had finished, and he was going to do both simultaneously. And I asked Kevin, I said... Please annotate every time that she goes off script in the I would love to know that, yes. And he got back, like, two days later, maybe, and was like, I can't keep keeping track of it. It happens so often. so much. You do wonder that as you're listening to it. Um, By the way, I uh, saw a fantastic movie I need to recommend to you. Uh, It's called A Thousand and One. It's so good. Yes, thank you. Uh, we so haven't good. gotten to talk about it since you finally watched it. After I finally I, watched it. You know, used a corner of our every episode to be like, listeners, go watch this movie. To act like I wasn't going to watch it and to like lecture me. Um, uh, the shame is that, like, uh, I think its awards case has kind of run through, but at least it yeah. showed up in the places that it was kind of supposed to show up. In, like, and I've seen people ago. who have been watching it, and like, that's good. That's good for uh, for you know, um just sort of everybody going forward just like get as many people as you can to and listen 
We could start a letter-writing campaign a la Andrea Riseborough for Tiana Taylor. You never know. <laughs> Francis Fisher, where are you when we need you? That did Tell not... everybody we only need 219 first-place votes for Tiana Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're right about the time when that thing started, right? Like... I mean, basically, yeah. Yeah. I right. felt like the dummy for not taking to Leslie seriously enough at first. Well, nobody did. Like we well, we all had a good did, little laugh though. About it. Some people yeah. were like, I don't know, I think this is gonna happen because they saw enough people like posting about it. Yeah. Well what we could do is we could scare people into thinking something like that's gonna happen this year. And like you know what I mean? And just get like two or three like very influential people to like tweet about something and just be like, oh, okay. I mean, the thing is, I mean, like Andrea Riseborough, incredible performer. Yes. The performance yes. is not bad, but that is a bad movie. And I didn't think it, it was that bad. I thought I, it was fine. I just thought like it revealed so much that I didn't want to know about what a lot of that industry thinks of independent filmmaking is and sure. like, it, they kind of, I felt like they kind of got hoodwinked by that movie. And it's just like, you've never seen a movie that's been made for less than $2 million. If you think that this is like, right. Incredible. Something that's never been done before. Like, I mean, I think even among a community of artists, things do settle on a large enough law of numbers. Things do kind of settle at the middle, right? Things do settle at a kind of middle, for lack of a better term, middle brow sort of right. appreciation level. And that's just sort of, you know, that's the way it yeah. goes. That's why, it, if even if you look at, you know, if you vote with any kind of voting body of any significant size, the the more daring things at the margins get snipped off because the things that everybody has most in common are the ones that, 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 rise to the top and that's just sort of statistics as if it goes. there is if there is one like instructive lesson that we could give our listeners uh, yeah. and i feel like this has been a previous mailbag question the average academy voter sees much less movies than the well most that passive is cinephile like yeah that is uh, instructive in terms of everything yeah. we talk about here yeah it's true 1001 incredible Tiana Taylor performance. Cannot wait to see whatever A.V. Rockwell does next. Yes. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Well, Audrey, Audrey, since you chose this movie, I hope yeah. you've seen, and you care about female directors, I hope you've seen 1001. Um, We're going to talk about, a little bit later, what a good year 2019 was for women directors, especially within, like, I think... On some level, I think every year is a good year for women directors. I shouldn't, I don't want to like start with that rubric. Every year, there are so many good movies by women directors. Sometimes it's just a matter of you seeking them out. And sometimes it shouldn't be that hard to seek them out. And, and it, and, and it is. And some years, the, you know, the studios make it a little bit easier for us. And we are thankful it's, for those years. It, and, it's a problem. I mean, like everybody can like, do their part to watch movies that are made by women, but mm -hmm. also like there's an infrastructure to the industry that doesn't support women filmmakers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 2019, though, a lot of uh, we there was a lot of good recognition for really good work by women. You had uh, Marielle Heller with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, we had uh, 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 um, Little Women, uh, Lorraine Scafaria. 
Uh, Lorraine Scafaria for for Hustlers, Little Women with Greta Gerwig. Um, Lulu Wong with The Farewell. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, some really, really fantastic ones. So uh, Celine Siama definitely was in good company that year, which was great. Yeah, was great to even see. at Cannes when uh, Mati Diop won for Atlantics, a movie that I yes. love. Yes. Listen, we have long been promised an Atlantic an Atlantic's criterion. This is my criterion soapbox where every month they announce their announcements and I am like, yeah. You told us years ago we were getting Atlantics and still isn't here. Where is you it? You got it. Um Claire Denis was that year too, right? That was High Life. Uh High Life? No. Well, High Life was released in the spring, but it was the previous festival. It was gotcha, 2018 gotcha, gotcha. festival gotcha, season. Gotcha, so gotcha, yes, gotcha. you could absolutely include Claire Denis in this conversation. Casey Lemons also wound up in the Oscar conversation with a nomination for Cynthia Revo for Harriet that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just sort of going through the... Uh, There's the also Oscar Booksmart, nominees. which when, you know, Booksmart would get I brought up in this Booksmart. conversation. I had so much fun at Booksmart. But, like, if we're talking about directing. Okay, but also, uh, you know I am somebody who is a very, very big believer in there have to be levels to a marketplace, right? And, like, there's your high-end, top-shelf stuff, and then there is your feel-good, crowd-pleaser stuff that you don't have to sacrifice. Like, I didn't feel like I was sacrificing anything to enjoy something like Booksmart. And I think that's really... And I think, ultimately... Just because you're not going to hand an award to Olivia Wilde for directing, you know what I mean? Like, I can, I still feel very happy about putting that movie among, you know, my favorites of that year. Sure. So, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 2019 was like kind of a sneaky good year that we kind of forget about because we didn't have time to bask in it because COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So early in 2020. But like, we really. I've seen a lot of people this year say that. 2023 is like the best year since 2017. Like 2019 was incredible. 2019 I mean, granted was really good. a lot of things that I would include among like the best of the year, like Claire Denise High Life, are maybe a little more divisive, or something like Mari Diop's Atlantics, which is yeah. underseen. You know, I think this year's best picture list will probably be more consistently good for me because 2019's best picture list, you had things like Ford. Ford versus Ferrari and and Jojo Rabbit and Joker and even something for me like I was so cool on the Irishman that it was tough for me to like chalk that up to like but I was warmer on 1917 than you were and you were warmer on the Irishman than I was so like these things even out these things but like I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again the other day it was on TV and I sort of wandered into it about halfway through what a great movie that like Good we movie. should probably it seems weird to say, like, oh, we should be talking about this more, about, like, a Quentin Tarantino movie who gets, like, all the press he wants. But, like, what But I think movie. a lot of the conversation around that movie, especially when it first opened, was dumb. <laughs> sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm still, like, I am still up for a conversation about the way that movie ends, which is still, like, not my favorite. But, like, even with that, and even with being able to, like, sort of wrangle about, like, what is the actual benefit of Tarantino? bringing putting the inglorious bastards treatment to the manson murders 
But like, even among that said, it's still a fucking great movie. Well, and, and how much do you buy Tarantino making this movie that's also a reassessment of, you know, violence in media and his own role in it? How much do I buy that he's actually really looking inward? I'm I don't. not so I sure. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that, like, it is an interesting experiment yeah. uh, yes. of what he... It feels like it is his most personal movie in a lot of ways. We're also For a man at the that, same... like, because of the pastiche of it and the, like, film, you know, film as film criticism, you know, uh, uh, of what his whole career has been, it doesn't yeah. feel like he's looked inward that often in a way that I think that movie does. Even if I don't fully think right. he's, you know, really examining himself. We are at the same time that we're doing this episode. We are preparing uh, their last few days of preparation for this Scorsese draft that we're doing for screen drafts. And so I've been rewatching a lot of the Scorsese DiCaprio movies and and kind of doing some reassessment. I was always somebody who would sort of, you know, back away when everybody was praising DiCaprio's performance in The Departed. Watching that movie again, whatever else I feel about that movie, um I I watching it again I was like, "Oh no, DiCaprio's fantastic in this." Like, yeah. what was I thinking? Um and watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm like, "I love him in this." And I am somebody who like My favorite Leo performance. I tend to be a little bit of like a pissy bitch when it comes to Di DiCaprio a lot, not always, but a lot. Um and it's like, oh, maybe I'm coming into my like appreciation era for Leonardo DiCaprio, um, which would be nice because um, I like when I like Leo. I liked him in a lot in Killers of the Flower Moon. So like, mm -hmm. we're 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 hitting a good stride right here. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. we've managed to fit in a lot of uh, detours, and we're going to fit in one more because let's... we're going to talk about the Vulture League before we get into. <laughs> let, uh well then let's let's just uh, dive into Vulture so then when we uh have gotten that business aside we can yes. fully dive into yes. this movie that I know we both love fully and we submerged. can talk about seeing it together which is always fun to do on my yes. this show that we record never actually getting to see each other. Right, um, I know. I know. All right. Um we get to do it live this week with the Vulture update. You are however going to be listening to this in the future from us. Right now, we speak to you from before the Golden Globe Awards are being held, and you are going to be listening from to this Before after. the Super Mario Bros. Uh, <laughs> legendary <laughs> Globes tally. Okay, let's just start it off with the one we're holding our nose for. Um, eight movies nominated for Cinematic and Box Office Achievement, a category that doesn't even have the word best in it because they're so ashamed of it. Um, what are you rooting for and what do you think will win? You know how I feel about the existence of a category like this, but I feel very strongly and adamantly that this needs to go to Taylor Swift. Like, first of all, I would, for everyone in the Movie Fantasy League that did yes. draft the Eras Tour film, I think it would be fun if they got some type of award points for this somehow. Yes, yes. Uh, but I also just think, especially after me talking for the whole season about like it's not going to win any awards points, you guys. Like, don't worry. Like, concert movies don't win awards, which I am being proved right by in the documentary categories. 
Um, but the Globes had to throw me after all I've done for the Golden Globes that they would do me like this is genuinely uh, upsetting. You, you know? are that crazy ex-girlfriend after everything I've done for you that you didn't ask for song uh-huh, about uh-huh, the Golden uh-huh, Globes. Yep. Okay, the existence of a category that just celebrates a financial achievement. And like they put cinematic in there, but like, what do you mean? Well, by right. That? What that right. that just expresses right. shame. Now you're the Jennifer Lawrence giving... meme. What do you yeah. mean? What do you mean? What do you what mean? What do you mean? Um it is it to me having to throw the word cinematic, which like you know, you talk about that you use that word in a review, and I might understand what you mean. But sure, truly, sure. what do you mean when you put that in there? It it is just a word thrown in there to make word salad that says we're not just giving this away for box office because that would be shameful but it truly is a an award about financial achievement could you give it to oppenheimer because it's unrealistic global box office take that a three-hour biopic would make a billion dollars around the world Sure, you could. Could you give it to Barbie for its absolute runaway success, specifically in the U.S. market? Sure, you could. But there Taylor absolutely Swift... is a way to just be like, why is this going to go to anything but Barbie? Barbie's the number one movie of the year, like financially. Like, among the criteria you have set out for us, why why wouldn't it go to Barbie? You know what I mean? Like, that's sort of... I'm sorry, you either give it to Taylor Swift or you give it to the Super Mario Bros because who gives a fuck? Giving it to Taylor Swift, this movie that, you know, yes, you could read the tea leaves and knew and know that mm-hmm. Beyonce and Taylor were planning to do this type of thing because it was, you know, heavily talked about in the pandemic yeah. that it's like we should have had uh, we should have had Beyonce Homecoming and IMAX, not just dumped on uh, right, that. Right, and, right. Like, you know, people, say, whatever. Uh, the, yeah. the way that Taylor Swift sideswiped industry process and, mm-hmm. like, status quo, I do think Moved is a bunch of movies off of their release dates. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, there is something like, yeah, sure. Ultimately, for like a movie making money, the money is the prize. But I do think yeah. that there is something somewhat revolutionary about the approach to the industry yeah. and meeting the customer where they're at that the studios yeah. are not doing. That you can make an actual like a worthy in in a way, nobody deserves this prize. But in another way, if you were going to try and make a deserves this prize, that would be a way. That would be an angle to take on it. This prize that shouldn't exist, but right. also right. like I'm kind of rooting for Taylor. I'm with you. Can I lay out a scenario for you though? Can I lay out a uh, a scenario that by the time people listen to this will have been either proven or disproven? Sure. Uh, Are you about to give me a scenario about how the Super Mother Br- Mario Bros can win? I feel like no, what's but most let's talk about the Super Mario Bros. Is that it's about to be the consolation prize to either Barbie or Oppenheimer, and one of them doesn't get a Best Picture prize? Well, so don't get ahead of me here. Um, but this is sort of where I was going. Was Best Picture drama and Best Picture musical or comedy are setting up so neatly to be a Barbenheimer double dip where it's Oppenheimer and drama and Barbie and comedy. That's sort of been the twin lanes that they've been traveling in. But what I'm saying to you is if they give cinematic and box office achievement to Barbie, 
the Holly, the 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 former uh, artists formerly known as the Hollywood Foreign Press, would they then take that as a permission slip to vote for something like either the Holdovers or Poor Things for Best Picture Musical or Comedy because Barbie's getting an award elsewhere? I feel like there is a high probability that. When this episode drops, we will be li- a high possibility, not probability, that we will be living in a we've been underestimating the holdovers this whole time universe. I'm sort of bracing for that moment to hit at some point soon. Yeah, I do think the holdovers is maybe the movie that's going to benefit the most from a preferential ballot as well. Like, I've seen it's not a, lo- a movie seen- I see people putting low on their ballot. Like, I've seen a few people be sort of the like fly in the ointment for holdovers and 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 have a negative reaction, but it's such a minority of reactions. Like way more I people than like I would have I'm, ever thought are really liking the holdovers. People who I'm I thought would be way fly snobby the ointment it. about the holdovers, but I'm like the most negative person about the holdovers. I've seen people and be it's a more movie negative. I love. Too. I've seen a couple people be like it's really bad. But like that's like that's an extreme outlier. Yeah. 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 But like there are people who I would have thought would have absolutely been too snobby for this movie who like are just like oh it's so wonderful. I really loved it. And Maybe like should watch it, it, again. it got such a good wave. It's it's the exact kind of a movie that got the we watched it over the holidays, you know, kind of a reaction that like much to Alexander Payne's chagrin, I do think it's a movie that's making people feel good at a certain time of the year. Um, yeah. Oh, does he not want also, it to be a Christmas movie? He made some comments about how let he go and doesn't God, like it to be called Jesus. a cozy movie. And it's like, but there's plenty Babe, of movies that like make people feel good that are about sad things. Like, yeah. watch any Mariel Heller movie, dude. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, uh... But it's also on Peacock now, so I think a lot of people are, mm-hmm. I think the well, rate at which I'm seeing people re-watch the movie is... No better I time, by famous. the way, to sign up for Peacock than uh, The Holdovers showing up there and The Traders is about to premiere, so... We can't talk, we can't, we can't. I've seen the first episode, Chris. We can't go that, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Okay. Um, We'll talk on Friday. Okay. Um... Yeah, at the uh, when the season was kind of warming up, I was I was saying things like I don't see this as a movie that wins multiple Oscars and mm. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. I'm going to get you to to admit that you were wrong about something at one point in 2024. It's going to be so exciting. What it's do you mean? You have a way of no, the, this being is the thing about wrong the and then not like, saying that you were wrong, or like me being right and you not telling me that I'm right. That, I like, think my I am... feelings at that point were indicative of where uh-huh. the holdovers was in that race. Ah, and like it ah. was good for it to be at that. Chris place. wasn't wrong; he was just out of time and space, and and where he That's was right. at the time was That's correct, right, baby. <laughs> All right. Um, My angel flung out of space. That's me. <laughs> um, okay, back to the game, though. Yes. Besides maybe Barbie. Oh, you want to talk about a thing that I was right about? Back to the game. <laughs> want to talk about Wonka being number one for three of its first four weeks in release? There you are. Keep racking. Even as box office points dwindle down, 
I know. any Wonka drafters, which it doesn't seem like there was a ton, which is where you want to be in the game, actually. You want to be getting the points that other people, that other people are not getting. Yes, yes, absolutely right. And you're seeing a little bit of that at the top of the leaderboard if you go in. There are, there are teams that are creeping up into the top 10 now that have Wonka on their rosters. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good place to be. Is Teresa May December still rocking it as the top Gary? Um, let me look. Yeah, all of us Garys. Let's see. Teresa May December. Yes, sixth place overall and first place in the Garys League. Also, shout out to John Wick for Oscar, who is 17th overall, second place for the Garys League. So the Garys continue to show up. Let's see who had... uh. Who's our top Gary with Wonka on their roster? Let's see. Da, 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 da. Again, love uh, the dead air that comes with me <laughs> clicking through things and looking through things. Man, the Garys were not on the the Wonka thing as 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 hard as they could have been. I suppose you led that trail, and you were no one right. followed. You the no one words followed. You just want to hear. That's fine. Um, you know what? I'm happy being uh, correct about something uh, this year. Anyway, um, I'll go back and investigate that. But yeah, good for Theresa May December and John Wick for Oscar. Um, I will say, Lord knows I I uh, don't want to pile anything more on the Marvels, which I think is a not bad movie that is being treated as an awful movie because of where it is situated on a glo- uh, sort of a, a longer trend. But um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom sort of like casually getting to 100 million after three weeks, even though nobody seems to He's like or pay attention to that movie. Movie Like, I do feel bad that even like on its way out of the DC uh, extended universe, that they were just like, oh yeah, ho-hum, 100 million. It was, you know, it's a disappointment. Had they or released and, the Marvels over the Christmas New Year's window, it would have been a hundred million dollar movie yes, as well. Yes, that's the thing. Like, of course that's of course that's the case. Yes. Um what else in terms of the Marvels of... was also facing up against Taylor Swift money too. Yeah, oh so, yeah. Like, like the circumstances were very different. Um migration is headed towards uh towards a hundred. Now it's at seventy-seven. Once again. Illumination, just people go see those movies. Nobody's seeing animation, but but trolls passed a hundred too. So if you drafted trolls, trolls get that trolls bonus. sweated that shit out eight weeks to get to a hundred, <laughs> but they were like, we're gonna fucking do it. Anyone but you keeps rising, even though I've not heard from anybody who seemingly has liked it. But like, it's gonna hit a hundred. It's gonna hit the fifty million dollar um uh threshold probably before next week's update. So. Um, it's the one that's rising in in box office. It's holding totals. very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Boys in the ac- boat. It actually gained this week. I think it has gained m- multiple weeks in a row. Boys in the boat gets my who's going to see this movie award, but like I'm kind of I'm deadline keeps saying it's the flyover states. Like its whole box office is being good for led you know what? By... If that's where George is going to land, and like and that's sure. his like. Go for it, George. Like, I'm fine with that. And honestly, like, good for Josh O'Connor, too. Honestly, good for the box office that a movie like this can, that, like, no one seems to be talking about. Yeah. That, like, doesn't have stars leading it. I wouldn't even say it was really sold on the back of George Clooney, and it's still making money. So, that yeah. that points to health 
and potential. At the the Iron Claw is going to end up as one of A24's highest grossing movies ever, which is... It's already in their top 10. Yeah, it yeah. passed... Um, it's not going to pass Talk to Me, but it did pass Priscilla from this year. I still think that would have been somewhat of a tough... Um, not a tough sell for awards voters, but like to try and figure out what about that movie you're going to be pushing. Yeah. Because it had such an ensemble. I do still think Holt McCallany probably could have had a supporting actor campaign around him that would have worked. I definitely think they could have at least tried for a Zac Efron campaign. And they could have gotten him a Globe nomination. Yeah. And so that bums me out. The fact that, like, you know, it, releasing it, it so late in the shook year. Out, I do think it's a really good movie, while at the same time being, like, the weakest Sean Durkin movie. I wouldn't disagree, but like but that's a that's a high bar. He sets himself. a high bar. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um it, you know, the strain in that movie to me is when he's trying to make an overtly mainstream movie and and it's like that's he's not the guy for that, but like I appreciate him trying to stretch in that. But way. there are things that work in that movie that like 90% of directors wouldn't be able to make work in that movie. Like I think I specific moments and like and that that's and that to me is is why you get somebody like Durkin to do that. Um it's great that that movie is making good yeah. money. Like yes. that that's that movie's win and good for that movie. Other you know side what of that movie coin, is not really doing all that great that I think is I I think could, you know, take it out of the conversation of among these front runners is poor things. Poor I was things just, I is, knew you were gonna, yeah. I can understand why. I mean, it's also it's a Almost two and a half hour movie. Well, and it's still only playing in 750 theaters. Right, but it's not like right. knocking out great right. averages or anything. Right. Um, they're probably smart to, like, you know, yeah. keep it somewhat limited before going big. But, like, it yeah. it's the movie that needs those globe wins that it may not get. Can we also say, for The Color Purple comes out and wins the Christmas Day box office. And then just goes away. Like, that's been really, really wild to see. That, like, when I saw it, our theater was not very full, and it was, like, a week after. Not even a week after Christmas. I do and... think it speaks to the audience response. If nobody's going to be really enthusiastic, even its core demo, like, you know, of church yeah. ladies, basically. If, like, right. the church la- Because, like, the church ladies are the most reliable audience to, like, have a movie hold on for a while. This is going to sound unbearably snobby, so, like, please bear with me when I say this, but, like, I didn't think The Color Purple was that great. I didn't think it was bad enough that regular people would notice. If that No, makes I sense. totally get that, because I, I... I mean, I thought it was, you know, for a mainstream movie, perfectly fine. Yeah. I, what I was kind of came away frustrated with was how earnest and, like, unashamed its individual musical sequences were. Because, you know, we talk about market... You know, no musical is marketed as a musical because it's like it should be ashamed of itself for being a musical. And I think that that's invaded actual musicals the way that the musical sequences have been filmed in a lot of recent musicals. And I didn't feel that in The Color Purple. No, my biggest that problem it made with the more upset that it was marketed in the way that it's been marketed. My biggest problem with the musical sequences in the color purple is 
they all seem to exist on an island away from each other. There w- was not any real cohesion between them. I think you had some that were really like staged really well. I think you I I thought they couldn't have found a more boring way to present I'm here, which is your they signature song. Let her sing live. Or just something. Give you like those sets looked especially plastic during her number. And 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 the staging of it was just very blah and very bland. And it robbed that it song. It felt like, like I've she seen, was limited as a performer. I've seen that song performed on award shows and I've gotten more emotion out of it. Do you know what I mean? Like a song on award shows by Fantasia Barino. Yes. Like Yes. Yes. Song on American Idol by Fantasia Barino. Like remember she came back the one year? As a like former winner, after she had been in the color purple on Broadway uh-huh. and saying "I'm here," and it was like tremendous. she sang Brought it the on the Tonys down. before she yeah uh, get uh, went into the show yeah so um, and I I felt like the way that it was filmed was inhibiting her as a performer. Danielle Brooks completely innocent. Also, the one thing that we were saying after the movie most vociferously was. Why haven't they been putting Taraji P. Henson in musicals for the last 15 years? She was my favorite performance in the- since Hustle and Flow. Like, it's like it's yeah. the same reaction I had about Erica Alexander after American Fiction is like, all this time you could have been putting Erica Alexander in romantic comedies, all this time you could have been putting Taraji in musicals, and you haven't. Like, that is a dereliction of duty on Hollywood's part. Like, that is yeah. such an indictment. One million percent. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, listeners, um, you can check out the Vulture Movie Fantasy League if you go to vulture.com slash movies dash league. Uh, you can see the leaderboard there, which will be updated by the time you're listening to this with the scores from the Golden Globe Awards. I'll be getting a new newsletter out uh, uh, sometime. Post-haste. Uh, uh, yeah, early in the week. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me, Chris, that I have another thing that I got to chop chop on. <laughs> Um, that's fine. Um, wait for the it, wait for the dust to settle on those globes points. It'll be fine. We'll see. Um, anyway, uh, we'll be back to you uh, with another update next week. But um, yeah, go enjoy. We're we're gonna we're hitting the ground running in 2024. The Golden Globes, the Oscar nominations are just around the corner. Um, uh, let's go. Let's go. All right. Let's get into the page 28 of it all. <laughs> Page 28, Mama Hacha, Hacha Macha. Page 28. The way she was fingering that page, too, in that portrait at the end there, where she's just like, Madam, your daughter is right there. Like, (laughs) what? No, she's just holding a book. What what is more family friendly than literature? (laughs) Literature. I want to know how she convinced the person who painted that painting. To just be like, make sure that you say it's page 28. And the artist if is like, don't well... don't do this, I will not sit for this portrait. And, and they're like, why? And she's like... Reasons. You don't need... Yeah, reasons. <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> reasons. Um, so good for that artist for, uh, for taking her up on that. I'm pretty sure the page 28 reveal was another time that I audibly gasped in that theater. Uh-huh. It's worth it. It's worth it. Is this yeah. uh, is this underrated as one of the movies that when you see with me are a 4DX experience? <laughs> Honestly. Like we never talk about this. We've talked about it as widows. Yes. Be talking about it for his three daughters. Yes. Yes. Yeah, this was an underrated uh 4DX Chris file. The final the- 10 minutes of this movie CFX. I was spontaneously 
the CFX Gaffer. experience, Chris File, uh, animated and and large and in charge. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a good movie. All right. We should really get into the nitty gritty of it, though, because I want to uh, talk about the movie specifically, but then also the sort of awards environment that, if not conspired against it, but like circumstances were scale. not on its side. I will say that. So, right, right. Yeah. Uh, once again, thank you to Audrey for choosing this movie for us. We are here talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, written and directed by one Celine Siama, yes. starring Nomi Merlant, Adele Hanel, Luana Boshrami, and Valeria Galino, and no one else. We are going to talk about Valeria Galino, Mama. Like, I am going to have a Hot Shots discussion about Valeria Galino. Trust. <laughs> I will, I will, I will when, when the timing is right, I will ask you to just go off. Uh, very this good. movie in yeah. its theatrical life was very interesting. It premiered in Cannes in competition in May, yeah. had a one week qualifying release after the fall festival circuit where it played basically everywhere. Yep. Uh, in the first weekend of December. Yep. Got a limited release. Starting Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day weekend. Yes. We all know what uh, was coming in the weeks ahead. Oh, boy. And we then, were. yeah, uh, they dropped it on Hulu March 27th, 2020. And you know what? What else were they? We were not feeling sexy in late March of 2020. So um, I definitely did not. Uh, dip back into Portrait of Lady on Fire then. So it was nice there to be able to so dip back into it There was so much anticipation of get it online, of getting this movie to people to see it. People were already pissed off about the qualifying release and having to wait. Yeah. And then when the qualifying release happened, it happened at about the most inconvenient time in movie-going history. Yeah. So I yeah. think, unlike a lot of movies, there was an impetus to rush it into availability for mm-hmm. people you know like that was also like the surge of movies that were put on vod like invisible man emma period um emma period yes i love that else period. was there yeah um oh god well, they just put this on hulu because part yes. of you know yeah. uh neon's agreement with hulu right um, right I wonder how much longer that'll run as Hulu becomes more and more absorbed. Who knows what's going to happen dissolved. to Hulu. You know what uh, kind of sucks is that, like, I really like current the current iteration of Hulu. Like, I feel, I it's feel like it's very searchlight fo- forward. It's very searchlight forward, but I think they've also found a good balance with searchlight in terms of what to put in theaters and what not to put in theaters. The for as much as we like make fun of it and rightly so, the FX on Hulu stuff is almost always good. Like, all of those shows have, like, such good quality to them, and it's like, sure, of course, like, fuck with this one, like, make that, like, like, let this be your little sacrificial lamb. Disney is fucking up on so many levels, I can't even tell you. As Disney has gotten more in control of Hulu, I have found the, like, interface experience to get progressively worse. That is It only ever recommends five movies to me. Its recommendation function has always been... Uh, there are things that I'm in the middle of watching that they just like will not float to me on my main page that I have to search for. It's so dumb. It's bad. It's yes. bad. Um. Anyway, you anyway. can still watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire on yes. Hulu, listeners. Yes. If you haven't seen the movie yet, why are you listening to 
two dopes talk about it when you can go experience mm-hmm. all of its glory. Indeed. Great movie that Joe is now tasked with giving a 60-second plot description for. Are you all ready right. to do so? Yes, I'm going to ask you to just bear with me, but yes, I will. I will. I will. I will carry it out. Okay, great. Your 60-second plot description for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I will not do the French pronunciation of it, <laughs> starts now. <clears throat> she's just a lady and she's on fire, wearing all her fancy clothes, but she don't want to be betrothed. She's just a painter and she's on fire, Damn, talking about another girl. The story is about two girls. Oh, Heloise seems real depressed. Marianne tries on her dress. Oh, they help the servant girl flee her unwanted pregnancy. This lady's on fire. At one point, her dress is on fire, literally. These ladies both are on fire. With sexual passion, that kind of fire. Looks like these girls have figured it out. They really like when they're kissing, doing stuff that's culturally forbidden. It's all good till the mom comes back from her vacay. Heloise is gonna get hitched. Mariana's got a split. Oh, years later, Marianne sees a painting of Heloise. Oh, she's painted next to her kid, but her finger's sending a secret lesbian message is. This lady's on fire. Listening to Vivaldi and trying not to look at Marianne, she's on fire. Okay, that's it. Both ladies are still on fire. Hottest wait for a glance across a room since Carol, which was also on fire. All hit their X button on you. You're done. You're done. All right. That was was beautiful. That was a lovely singing voice. Yes, it's great. Give me a contract. (laughs) Listen, that was some creativity. Who on the voice would have turned around and wanted you on that Nobody. Movie? Literally, they would have turned me around. They would have hit a find another button that makes me face away from them. That's what they would have done. <laughs> that they would have tra- the trapdoor button in the stairs. Suddenly, a secret third button. The secret third button. A secret third option that we didn't know was there before. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson hits it, and I go falling through the floor. Ugh. All right. I hope you appreciate what I do for this podcast. And anyway. you you did a great job. 30 seconds over. I never would have predicted <laughs> with the amount of plot that's in this movie that this would have gone that far over. Um, but not only did it go over time, it went over boundaries. It went <laughs> over... Uh, right. Uh, pers- uh, whatever. Uh, you know what? Great movie. Great movie. Great movie that... Uh, okay, I think part of... One of the things that I love about this movie, it's, you can enjoy it just on a pure, like, uh, vibes level. You can enjoy it just for the immaculate craft of it. But then also, there is something academic about it, about Mm -hmm. the male gaze, the female gaze, the way women have been objectified 
not just in film, but in art. The way the movie sort of becomes the crucible for like one scene where they just like go into the woods and are dancing in a circle of women. (laughs) And you wonder if like, if the men only knew what was going on in these woods, chanting and also like lustful glances across a fire, like what a great sequence that whole thing is. Like that's incredible to capture a person like distill them down to their essence and like of course this portrait is supposed to be right, right. enticing to this uh, milanese uh, italian husband that she's going to have that's around. where that's who valeria galino is going to to sort of fetch right is milan right. she goes to milan to uh to and that's where she ends up at the end i think she is in milan at the the museum when she sees uh or at the concert maybe both um that last shot of heloise in the balcony and you're just like shot is she gonna look is she gonna gonna look it's amazing (laughs) it's incredible i also can we just like go back to the beginning though i love any movie where somebody arrives at a place by a boat by a rowboat that they had to take off of a bigger boat and they're like bringing luggage with them and they're just sort of like floating it along jump whole body into the water in like 90 pounds of fabric and, like, she's, like, got stuff that can't get wet. And, like, it reminded me of The Piano, where it's, like, also similarly, where it's just, like, yeah, yeah she's got to, like, travel with all her shit. And, like, this boat isn't going to, like, pull into dock because it's just this, like, isolated beach or whatever. And and so there's some point they're just, like, well, you figure it out, Marianne. Like, go and row yourself to shore. Um, But there is, but, like, that plays into it, the sort of, like, the isolation of it the um the out of out of the boundaries of the world of it mm-hmm. right where and it's just Brittany. it's just an island in between england and 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 france wait is Brittany an island or is it just sort of like a a coastal area god don't Brittany's yell at me an, uh, uh an institution a national treasure Brittany is everything <laughs> Brittany. <laughs> No, it's either because I I don't want to confuse it with the Channel Islands because I know that's a whole other thing. Because and also it's part of France. We're um, not a geography podcast. Oh, please, we are not a. No, I think it's just a coastal area. Um, but anyway, um, it's a peninsula. It looks to Listen, me like French Ireland. Well, you know? it's all yeah. these like high cliffs and. Yeah. Okay. You you say that it feels like. This commune while the men are away, which is somewhere... To the point where I'm like, how did this servant girl get pregnant? Is it an immaculate conception? Because, like, we don't <laughs> there no, we don't see men ever. Like, what's going on? You see men at yeah, the end of you the do. movie. You yeah. know, when she's going to the... Uh, of course, men have to spoil everything, including conversations about art. We are not immune to this. Uh, yeah. But the men show up when, when you know, we see her portrait, etc. The the art show, whatever. Yeah. Um, you get to a point where it feels like, look at this oasis where there's no men there anymore. But I think when we first arrive on this island, it feels more like it's a prison. Sure. For Eloise, it's like she is kept away. She is, well, I mean, she was pulled away. It's from very Bronte, too. right? Where she's like standing yeah. on the cliffs and what is she thinking about? And her sister committed suicide, right? That's the, that's yes. the idea that yes. her older sister, who was also betrothed to somebody, 
Um, and that's why she was pulled away from the convent. Yes, yes. Right, there are so many ties to our last week episode. Imagine a world where Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Sister Act exist well, in the same universe. Well, essentially, it's like, well, we did Ammonite, and then we did Sister Act, and then, like, well, then now we arrive at Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which has, you know, <laughs> uh, elements of both. Um, it's much more romantic when the person with the career in this story is a painter rather than somebody who digs into seashells for um sure organisms as uh kate winslet does in ammonite um but on one on, on a very important level and i've said this before this is a movie about two pairs of eyebrows which could not be kept apart for very long <laughs> that they were just drawn to each other just incredible, incredible prominent uh, eyebrow work by both of these ladies. Like, truly striking and beautiful. Um, I don't want to compare the performances to each other, even though I think it's interesting that when I tended to see Adele Hainel more often singled out for her performance than Naomi Merlant, which um I don't know. It's tough to like I think they work so well in tandem, but also like Nomi uh is so I feel like I'm in it with her more. Do I think you know it's what I mean? harder to make that character interesting because in so many love stories, that is the role that like we're less interested in, which like not to say that I'm more interested in her than Eloise. I don't think that's my read on the, the movie. The movie is structured but, to make you fascinated with Eloise. Heloise, right, Eloise. Right. Whatever. And it helps that Adele Hanel is as incredible and fascinating and sure. enigmatic uh, as that performance is. Yes. But I do think more often than not, the role that Nomi Merlant is playing ends up not being as interesting, not as idiosyncratic as her performance is and yet, in this movie. She's like, she's absolutely the one I gravitate towards in this movie for whatever reason. I'm like, I'm I just feel like I'm in it with her. I I I'm so appreciative of the work that she's able to do and sort of like letting the story sort of read on her face. Hmm. So much of this movie happens without uh, outside the bounds of dialogue where um, which isn't to say that there isn't dialogue in it, but like so much of the story of this movie carries off on their faces and hers, especially, hmm. um, especially at the beginning of the story, you know, where she kind of has to get an in with Eloise, mm -hmm. you know, and it takes some time, even as Eloise is like faking out that she's going to go jump off a cliff. Um, <laughs> right. Funny joke, Eloise, like, ha ha ha. Well done. Well, well, well gestured. <laughs> but no, 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 no. We definitely have talked way less about Nomi Merlant's in this performance as a culture than we did Adele Hanel. Well, and it's interesting, too, that like the next thing I saw her in was Tar, where she's also sort of playing this observer of this much more... I don't know if you'd call Lydia Tarr enigmatic. I think you would call her um, turbulently brilliant. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Where she's Monstrous. just like, <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Um, wait, what was Serpentine. I thinking of? You've seen Maestro, right? Yes. 
I love how that scene late in the movie at Tanglewood with the younger conductor who he's teaching, who he then goes and dances with. Very tar-coated. Uh, very. But also, like, I was like, oh, that's, like, the best case scenario of, like, that's the nice version of Lydia Tarr, like, dismantling that poor Juilliard kid's entire psyche. It's, cl- it's I mean, it's closer to uh, the woman at the very beginning who's interviewing her and uh where she's aggresso flirting like yeah super flirting compliments her on her bag and in the next scene we see lydia tar she has the same bag yeah yeah, and we can presume they've maybe had sex and then maybe by extension she stole that woman's bag like (laughs) lydia (laughs) but clearly she did not learn um I don't know what 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 did she learn from Leonard Bernstein about uh, about the dealing with I don't know I don't want to continue this. Y- you're right anyway. to point out Nomi Merlant in Tar though because I think that's another performance that so much of the what's happening the business the character arc yes. is has to be written on her face without actually saying what's happening yes. tar is much more explicit about what's happening because we're getting a little bit more context whereas but she's such a, she has such a great face for taking it all in right for yeah. sort of for for uh synthesizing the visual information she's getting and sort of like processing it on her face and she she doesn't have a very twitchy face it's not like that but it's um i'm really interested to see her in more things and i hope she gets keeps getting cast in major roles in major things because i you do didn't think see this in- movie where she uh falls in love with a circus ride with a what with a circus what was the i think the i don't think the movie was called turbo maybe it was called turbo oh no Look this up while I talk about it. She Turbo is a young woman okay. who falls in love with and uh, experiences sexual pleasure with a circus ride. Ride? Yes. It, oh, it, so like, like she's like an, one of those like I fell in love with a Ferris wheel people, basically. But it's yeah. not a Ferris wheel. It's more like a tilt a whirl type of thing. There, but like you've you've seen those like uh, television show or like uh, uh, news magazine episodes, right? I don't about know what my strange addiction you're talking about. I would never objectum. Ob- my friend and I, when I worked program. at ABC, were obsessed with objectum sexuality, and like that's what the, where it's just like somebody <laughs> who is like fully in love and has. I a, never saw the real sex episode about dendrophiliacs. What are you talking about? God, real sex was such a gift. Nineties um, were wild. So this is coming out soon, or this has already been released? Oh, it's it's years past. I think it was like oh, a South Spy movie. I definitely watched it. Is it Jumbo? Jumbo, not Jumbo. Turbo, it's Jumbo. Oh, yeah, she's definitely in a, um, the poster is her in a sort of like head back pose of ecstasy. Looking underneath up the, the lights of The lights Jumbo. of a Tilt-A-Whirl, the sort of like the bisexual lighting of a Tilt-A-Whirl. And the pull quote from IndieWire is a ride worth taking. Well. Well. Well, my goodness. Um, uh, wait, give me one second, because who is it directed by? It is directed by... Um, Someone French? What's that? Someone French? No? I would imagine. Um, Belgian, Zoe Wittock, who... That's a name I know. That... Hold on. God, IMDb, you're a disaster. 
Oh um, my god, Nomi Merlant was in Lee. When will we ever get to see Lee? Since we did not see it at the festival, because we'd already Lee, heard it was Lee bad. very much does not exist. Um, For the amount of people that are in that movie, including apparently Nomi Merlant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really not a movie that uh, exists on the planet. I just saw that uh, Faux, by the way, speaking of one-word uh, movie titles of movies that... Uh, word rejected uh, in some way or another by the I've uh, seen people tweeting about it now that it's on prime and they're like yeah I want to no, see it abhorrent I I I I want to What can least... be possibly so bad about this movie that that it got that like universally roundly shot What could be from, so bad From friends who saw it they're like yeah it's just that bad like I can't explain it I got to see it say, I got to like, see it That doesn't help me not wanting to see it Right right yeah Um Apparently okay, the twist no- is stupid and obvious. Nomi Merlant has a credit from 2019 from a short film just, just called Shakira, and she is credited as cosmetics saleswoman. And I almost don't want to know any more about it because I just want to imagine that Nomi Merlant, oh, she wrote and directed this short. Fantastic. That um, she plays somebody at a cosmetics counter who uh, uh, Shakira approaches, uh, the pop star Shakira approaches the counter and wants to buy something and that's the entirety of the short that's what i want that to be that's great great it's gonna exist in she's my a mind cosmetics counter associate who eventually you know crafts this statue of shakira have you right. seen the photos of the shakira statue no i haven't i will find it i'll, I'll put it on the tumblr post if i were if I were. shakira approaches the cosmetics counter and says lole 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 and she's like i have exactly <laughs> What you're How is lole 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 pronounced in uh, French? I literally saw it one time as um, subtitled, and I was like absolutely blown away. It was really <laughs> something. I couldn't remember exactly what it was spelled, how it was spelled, but oh boy, so good. Um, talk to me about Celine Siama. Okay, so this feels like a real catapulting into yeah. the stratosphere for her the mm. second that this movie premieres at Cannes, even though. She, to my understanding, is not loved or appreciated by the uh, by the French French industry, uh, Why? the French film going public, and she is much more appreciated abroad, especially in America. What do you At think this... that's about? I'm uh, French people. Love ah! Um, uh, <laughs> it's about misogyny. Um. But I mean, it could also. I mean, there is a certain element of you know certain. Filmic sensibilities are not always appreciated in their like James Gray is treated as a god in France, and here people are like eh, James Gray, you know, like yeah, you know, his movies are seen as masterpieces in France, and here, you know, they barely get seen. Yeah, um, and like unfortunately, the other French examples that I have of similar things are also female filmmakers like Claire Denis, who is not appreciated in France, but like Western audiences love her. Um, or at least west of France. France is Western. Um, so keep going very this, west of France, and you'll finally hit land where people love Claire Denis. Like at some point, just keep right, on right. sailing. Yeah. <laughs> you will arrive in Brooklyn. Yes. Um. So Celine Siama, I had already seen Girlhood at this point, and Girlhood. I still haven't seen Girlhood, and I really, really should. Uh, it has a great lead performance. It's a it's a really strong. She just has such a strong visual voice. Cl- mm-hmm. Celine Siama's close ups are 
uh, of her own. They're so incredible. And uh, Girlhood was made semi-famous because it has that sequence set to Rihanna's Diamond. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that which is like ninety percent of the reason I want to watch that movie. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's a great. It's a great sequence. Um, and, and like Celine Siama reached out to Rihanna herself and got yeah. approval, etc. Um, nice. Also, Celine Siama had been known for Tomboy at this point. I don't think I'd seen Tomboy ahead of this movie. Um, when was Tomboy? Now, uh, I think Tomboy was even before Girlhood. Um, Interesting. Girlhood might still be on Criterion Channel. Uh, yeah, definite recommend that of that movie. Yeah, Tomboy's 2011. Yeah. So, in, in Celine Siama's you know, screen credits as it stands now. There is also, uh, what's this movie called? It's Water Lilies. Water Lilies is the one I sort of I I know. And Adele Hanel is in is that in one. that movie, yeah. and I've seen that. I don't love that movie um, quite so much. But Portrait of a Lady on Fire in this kind of strange way is this outlier in Celine Siama's filmography. You know, because the rest of them are focused on young women underage, like teenagers and mm-hmm. you know pre-teenagers i was gonna say a petite mama and even even uh, younger yeah. just a, just you know little girl god but we're gonna... all of her movies are just like really rich with feeling they're like not to be corny about it but they're movies that you can kind of feel your way through mm-hmm. but i think portrait of a lady on fire what's interesting why i think it's so well directed is like yes it's a movie that's so like rapturous you know like i'm the person who's gasping when it cuts to black at the end but also it's a very heady movie too like you can fully intellectualize this movie in terms of what it's saying about uh objectification of women this like study of women yeah uh how it relates to the male gaze and the female gaze in an interesting way that I also don't feel like is too, like, I don't know if this is a movie anybody would come out and be like, well, that's pretentious, you know, right. any of its ideas. You know? Right. I don't think it's limiting in that way. She also, I'm finding here on her uh, filmography page, she was a script consultant on a movie called Bird People that I saw at my very first TIFF, uh, friend of the podcast, Nick Davis, um, uh, and I saw it together. If you're going to TIFF with Nick, you're going to see some movies that are like well off the beaten path. And like that's it's this Pascal Ferrand movie uh, called Bird People that uh, is set at a hotel in uh, Paris. But like Josh Charles is in it as an American businessman. And I, I've i never really given it a ton of thought afterwards. Um, it was good. It was all right. But like it hasn't like nobody else ever saw it. So I never really talked about it with anybody. So, like, it just kind of, like, receded in my mind. But I was like, oh, yeah, that really weird bird movie. That She uh, also is a writer on My Life as a Zucchini or mm-hmm. uh, My Life as a Courgette, uh, which was a surprise animated nominee at the Oscars. That's right. Um, what an interesting career, Gen- genuinely. Mm-hmm. Like, what a really kind of fascinating career. Petite Maman was one of my favorite movies of... Uh, 2021. I will say, great movie. Uh, that's the one we saw. That one at, uh, at virtual, virtual TIFF. TIFF, and what uh, that movie loses nothing. I think in the experience of seeing it 
So long as you're like, you know, uh, keeping undistracted. Um, it's not this sort of like certainly with an eighty minute runtime or whatever it has eighty minute runtime, and it's just sort of it's. I mean, it looks beautiful, but it's not this sort of like, oh, you have to see it on the biggest screen possible. You know what I mean, like that kind of a thing. It was one of the ones that I think they did a drive-in for at TIFF, which oh. I remember watching it on my computer. That I'm like, I can't imagine watching yeah. that movie outside. Outside, yeah. Like, I hope there were some trees around or something. Like, it should be on a lake watching that movie. Every time I talk about that movie, I sort of get this nagging little thing at the back of my head being like, should a movie that exist so high on my top 10 just because it made me feel so happy but like i don't think it i don't think it takes a cheap route to get there you know what i mean even though it's about you know it's just like you know what would you Her tell your very your, rigorous well and it's, it's like talking like, to your mother throughout the generations and that whole kind of thing and but like it's so well done and it's so well written and uh, paste, paste shot, and like etc the information sort of like gets to you at exactly when it needs to get to you you really do sort of like take an emotional journey not to be like you know a cliche about these things but mm. um absolutely for as much as i love portrait of lady on fire like petite maman is like that's my shit like that's my jam well the movie that uh, both movies i think are composed in a way that you you're supposed you as an audience member are so invited to take emotional consideration of every type of development every reveal that mm-hmm. happens you know mm-hmm. it's part of the fabric of the movie mm-hmm. that you are supposed to feel and think about all of the information that it's giving you um i think i mean part of the power i think of petite maman is is it's like shortness it's brevity yeah because like it feels it really feels like this thing that's packing so much feeling into a small package yeah um that like it kind of makes it even more so yeah i think i think portrait of a lady on fire is a better movie because there's so many more access points into it yeah or like opportunity for you to get something you weren't expecting from it yeah i can see that um and yet also like this is not really a dig against against portrait of a lady on fire but like i do think it's sort of it carries off the way you're ex- the way i was expecting you know what i mean it's like i don't think it ever like so surprises you like once you sort of get locked into the idea that like mm-hmm. oh these two women like the first second you see them look at each other you're like oh well this is where it's going to go and <laughs> um I think where it where it shines is the way it tells that story. Um but it's like even though even in a marketplace where we don't get nearly as many queer love stories as we could. I'm like, "Oh yeah, like I've seen the story." You know what I mean, like I know that yeah. I know how this one's going to go. But it's the it's the telling of it that I think really really um captivates me. Well, there's power in that simplicity, too, because the mm-hmm. story is so simple, but it can really fill, you know, the leanness of the story mm-hmm. with a lot of emotional and intellectual detail and texture. Like, literal leanness, too. Or like, literal, like, 
there's a lot of empty space in this big house. It's like this yeah. big house and there's like not very many people in it. It's this, you know, this sort of like this wide uh, uh, canvas of like a beach or a, you know, uh, I don't know. Everything seems very, the world is sort of like they're the only two people in the world sometimes. I know there are other people actually there, but mm-hmm. like there are times or even when it's just like them two and like their friend, you know what I mean? It's like you've you've hung around with your couple friend before and it's just like and sometimes you're just you're just like having a good time and sometimes they help you, you know, get rid of a pregnancy and and it's it's all in good fun. So Sophie is an interesting foil to these I two like characters, Sophie a lot. I think. Yeah, yeah. Luana Bajrami, I really like. I also think, I mean, she's an interesting, not, foil's not the right word. Like, counterpoint. Yes. Both in character and the performance of it. Her Mm -hmm. performance feels so much more maybe modern. Mm -hmm. Um, Even, I wouldn't go so far as to say anachronistic for what a young or a teenage woman would be for that time. Yeah. But there's a certain... You know, if no, if Nomi Merlant is the very classicist type of uh, acting mm-hmm. classic on screen woman, and then you have Adele Hanel doing like mid century, like revolution, leave all men uh, expression, <laughs> Luana Bashrami feels like the actress of today giving. Yes. I, yeah. It's a younger, a young Winona Ryder could have excelled in a role like that. A million percent. Yeah. Joe, because we cannot completely set her aside, go off on Valeria Galino. Okay, so Valeria Galino was an actress who, for a long time, I thought I might have imagined. Because, like, I saw, <laughs> she was so prominent in my life in the early 90s, where it was like, late 80s, she's in Rain Man. She's Tom Cruise's girlfriend who is sort of, you know, pushed to the side of that story once it becomes a road movie with the two brothers. And then, after that, she was in Hot Shots, playing the love interest for Charlie Sheen. And the first Hot Shots is essentially just, it's a Top Gun parody. So she's essentially, like, whatever passes for, like, a Kelly McGillis role. But she's just basically, like, you know, the love interest. And she's very funny in that. And then, for some reason, Hot Shots Part Dieu is a Rambo parody. Like, it's sort of like same characters, but like it's now it's a Rambo parody. And now the Charlie Sheen guy is no longer, you know, Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Now he's Stallone in Rambo. And it's also like uh, the, the climax, they have to go to the Middle East and like Saddam Hussein is a character and they get like a Saddam Hussein impressionist or whatever. Um, It's so dumb, but it's so funny. And, Valeria Galino has like two or three really fucking great comedic like deliveries in that one. My one of my favorite jokes of all time is when it looks like she's been shot and died, and he runs over to her and he goes down and like uh, uh uh sort of like lifts her head up and he sees that she's alive and he goes, "I thought you were," and she puts a hand to his mouth and she goes, "Gabriella Sabatini." I know, I get that all the time. And, like, it's <laughs> such a good joke. Um, but there's this whole other thing where, like, Rowan Atkinson plays her husband who had been, like, kidnapped by these, like, paramilitaries and they were trying to, like, free him. And they free him and he's just, like, an absolute turd. 
And um, I don't know, just like if if ever you want to watch something truly dumb, but also funny, but also has some like really clever jokes and like Lloyd Bridges is so dumb and fun in that movie. And like there's I don't know, Hot Shots Part 2, I'm a weirdly like partisan to it, but Valeria Galino especially. So then after that, I don't think I saw her in anything. For like, he largely goes back to European films, and that wasn't where I was I mean, watching. She's things. fairly prolific there, but you know, not always in movies that reach the states. Well, right, and so like for my intents and purposes, I was like, well, I guess I imagined Valeria Galino, and and I'm trying to think of like the movie that I saw her back in because it wasn't uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire wasn't the first thing that I had seen her back in, but it was like, what would it have been? I'm trying to go back through her. Um, sort of aughts output, and I don't know what it would have been. Even, um, she's in Frida. She's in Frida. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, but like, God, it was so awesome seeing her again. Or maybe it was it was that it was this, and then I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, Valeria kind of rules in this movie, and I love. She's sort of, she almost has a self-knowledge of the role that she has to play in the meta of this, right? Where she's, you know, it's almost like she doesn't, like, she doesn't relish having to be the person to sort of acquire heterosexuality for her daughter, right? Where she's just like, <laughs> sorry, I'll be off for a few weeks. I'll be acquiring some heterosexuality. When I come back, it'll be time to be heterosexual. And it's just like, <laughs> well... And it's like she's not mean about it. She's 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 a little she's exacting a little bit and she's, you know, unyielding about it. But it's mostly that because like she knows her role in this whole thing and she's kind of she carries with her that notion that like this might not have been the exact thing that led my daughter, my other daughter to kill herself in the exact same way, but like there's, you know, certainly pushing these demands of like now you got to go marry some gentry somewhere. And um, is not what my daughters want to do. And the, the solution one is not to not force your right. other daughter to do this. The solution well, there is, is no to kind of really ensure that this does seal the deal for this other daughter. You know, like it's yeah. But she this she's, whole backwards logic. She seems to have a like. If she doesn't know exactly what went on while she was gone, she sort of has a. She has a pretty good idea. And and as she sort of she sends Marianne on her way, not unkindly, but also with like no wiggle room, which is just like you'll be right. leaving, and that is, you know, and that's the end of that chapter, kind of a thing. I think she she's a great performer in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, speaking of female directors, she is herself a director, though I don't know any of them that have reached the states. Um, she was also last year. Um, in a uh, film that co-starred uh, Albra Warwacker, along with some other people, called Marcel, with an exclamation point, which I can only imagine is another Edith Piaf uh, movie. Two hours of Marion Cotillard screaming Marcel. What was that? 
What was when that? When Marcel joke? the Shell came out, I that's I right. said that to you. I was like, Marcel, Marcel the Shell. No, the joke was like reading off the animated feature winner at the Oscars this year, and it was just like <laughs> opens envelope, Marcel, Marcel. Oh my god. Marcel. I should. That's so tragic in that movie. I shouldn't make fun of it, but it's, I mean, it's she's wailing, Marcel. She really, really is. Okay, Marcel. I'm glad we were both on the same page about Let's that. Let's the show. All okay, right. I'm going to ask about Adele Hanel. Okay. Because, I mean, like, maybe we're saving it for last because I do think that this is truly an incredible, momentous performance. I forget if she was my winner that year for lead actress, but she was one million percent. No, she wouldn't have been because it was Lizzie Moss. Yeah, year. Lizzie Moss was mine as well. Uh... Talk, talk to me about this, because I think you feel about this performance a little bit more passionately than I do, but, like, a oh, lot really? of people also do. So, like, I am I am probably an outlier in this. I think it's just the amount of detail. This movie is obsessed with her face. Role was right. written for her. She was in a relationship with Celine Sciamma for a, a number of years, I believe, and, you know, she is the muse of this movie. Uh, and the movie is so fascinated by her and her face and just mm-hmm. like the minute expressions that she provides and her physicality um which fully doesn't work and the movie doesn't work if she isn't as interesting to watch if she isn't as fully convicted you know from the toes up in the mind of this woman she also um, like kind of cut it up in the press afterwards right didn't she like I feel like this, there was some... I believe, is the it was either the Euros or the Cesars that she, when they gave an award to Roman Polanski mm. in this day and age, that's she right, storms out. That's um, right, and justifiably so. Yeah, um, yeah, she's since left the industry, which is, of course, to all of our loss. Yeah, um, because of the French industry's uh, rampant misogyny and racism, etc. She's now mostly working in theater. She hasn't done a movie since this movie. Interesting. Um, I just think the level of expressiveness, like we were saying, you know, there's not, it's not just that there's not a lot of action. There's not even a lot of dialogue in Mm -hmm. this movie. And we can still see, we can still understand and feel the full trajectory of this character. And then again, obviously, in that long take at the end where she's, you know, getting her life to Vivaldi. I think, you know, it's this subtle character arc the whole time that we know that she is going to live a life that she doesn't want to live, but she can still, we see that she still in some way is having something for herself, that she can still be of the world. Her page 28. as, As she wishes to be. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I mean, that whole arc that she goes through listening to Vivaldi, apparently, like, she had a whole trajectory that she was going through emotionally in her mind that we never get to witness. That's gotta be, that's catnip for an actor, right? Where it's just like, oh, I get to, like, have a whole private performance all to myself while the camera is, like, fixed on me. Like, I I am going to... Right, that none of us will be privy to. And also, that's the point of the movie. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the movie doesn't work without her performance Mm -hmm. and what she is tasked to do is so difficult Mm -hmm. that, you know, this is a movie about 
G-A-Z-E, not to Kate Blanchett, Cinderella interview this. <laughs> but it is so much about that, and it puts a lot of pressure on an actor to be enigmatic in a way that you're going through that arc, but allows the story to still be about how we can't ever just... Yeah. We can't fully understand this woman. We can only imprint upon her. Right. Um, as a muse. It's fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, in your notes here, I'm just going to say, of course, a Portrait of a Lady on Fire was uh, in competition at Cannes. It wins the Screenplay Award. It wins the Queer Palm. Parasite, of course, wins the Palm. And we'll talk about Parasite in a second. But you have written here. Uh, also in competition were Almodovar's Pain and Glory, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Butt Movie. Chris, refresh my memory. <laughs> what is The Butt Movie? What are you we talking about? You will not get out of a conversation about this can without getting into The Butt Movie. Also known as Mektub, My Love, Intermezzo, which has not been seen. Oh, this is the uh, this blue can. is the warmest color guy. Yes. Okay. Uh, Delatif Kashish, known as the director of Blue is the Warmest Color, the most overrated and I would imagine instant buyer's remorse movie of Cannes in my lifetime, maybe. Um, and yet. Leah Seydoux continues to flourish, and what's her and face? We get Adele X. Broke up uh, the horrid relationship between uh, uh, whatever passages. Speaking passages. of sexism in the French industry, this man uh, also gotten into basically like legal troubles and wrangling with the financing of this movie. He sold his palm to finance this trilogy of movies, the second of which played Cannes competition and never again saw the light of day. It was for... A, go and read the reviews of this movie if you want a good laugh. Critics describe it as basically four and a half hours of extreme close-ups on jiggling butts and people twerking you know, Chris, to club I've music. I've had just about enough of you deriding the cinema of big jiggling butts, so... Big Jiggling I'm Butt you, Cinema. One of my favorite has, days the, on Twitter was the reviews of this movie, uh, where it just sounds like there were hours and hours of footage of close-ups on butts of dancing young women, which like obviously sounds gross. But the critics who essentially and they also like premiered this movie at like ten o'clock at night, so American critics are basically in a fugue state not understanding what the hell they're watching and it you know it gets trashed by the press there's also controversy because there's some like explicit sex in the movie that it sounds like was not he plied his actors with alcohol oh. in prepping them for it so it's like maybe this movie shouldn't be seen but yeah you know sometimes it's not nice and not fun when a movie becomes the butt of the joke at a <laughs> literally i was gonna say did you was that on purpose literally did you walk into that one i okay. didn't um i you know again i, I wish like, i had been doing my can pool for this can it feels like this would have been a uh a real a dragging one. of a movie at a festival sometimes can just be the stuff of legend and this is one of them but like as uh, with if you look at like as with a lot of can, like a lot of the same names sort of show up. So this particular one 
Jarmusch is there with a movie I didn't really like very much, The Dead Don't Die. Not a um, movie. Ira Sachs with a movie I still haven't seen, Frankie. Um, I will evangelize that movie. That's Terrence a good Malick movie, and with that a movie, movie got trashed. I still haven't seen A Hidden Life. Malick's A Hidden Life. And I know that, good that movie. that's what I've heard. Uh, Xavier Dolan's Matias and Maxime, which was a step up from the sort of like, there were no like savage reviews of Matias and Maxime. I think it's kind of, you know, so so. Um, yeah, it's, I didn't. I didn't think that movie was great, but like, yeah, it's so middle of the road. It's almost like, why did they put that in competition? I'm gonna put a pin in Le Miserable for a second. Um, uh, Arnaud Desplechin, uh for a movie that seemed to go really kind of nowhere. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was great for Tarantino. Pain and Glory was great for Almodovar. Both of those end up at the Oscars. Obviously, Parasite. We'll talk about that in a second. But like Justine, Justine Triet had uh, Sybil at this one. Ken Loach, of course. You got the Dardens, of course. As long as there are Cannes Film Festivals, there will be Ken Loach and the Dardens. But like they didn't really have much of an impact with their movies. Um, it really was. But like the ones that really had an impact, really had an impact. Like the uh, Baccarat was also at this Cannes, which I fucking loved. Baccarat. Baccarat rules. Um, but like Parasite really hit the ground running here. The jury rumors were that until Parasite screened, the jury was prepared to give the Dardens a third palm for, for young, young Ahmed. Ahmed, which did not get good reviews, but that jury really liked it. And they, I think, gave that movie direct. Can we just like for any future can jurist? Yes, uh, they gave that movie to this? director. Um, don't make the Dardens your fa- your fallback. Just like consider the larger picture of things here, right? Like if you're gonna give it's 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 what the Oscars failed to do with Meryl and her third. If you're gonna give the Dardens a third. It's got to be real fucking good. You know what I mean? And okay. and anyway. Um, At this point, the thing... Okay, so this is our second Queer Palm winner we've ever done after Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, what if there was Pride? Um, but this movie also wins Best Screenplay Award, which I think rightly was seen as kind of a consolation, consolation prize. Award. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like Best Screenplay does actually shake out to be the consolation prize for a lot of movies mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. awarding movies for the screenplay because to me like i understand someone this is a directorial this on, like, triumph this is an acting this is triumph. a directorial achievement not right. a screenwriting achievement you know this is this yeah. is and again you, you don't know, have to give the dardens anything they're going to be just fine like give celine siama the 100%. director prize yeah 100%. absolutely Absolutely. Unimpeachable top two wins, though, between Parasite and Atlantic's winning the Palm and the Grand Prix. Well, and I just love that, like, also, can we talk about the, like, bangers, all bangers jury of this one, where it's... This is a cool jury. Inyara 2 is the jury president, which, whatever, somewhat of a divisive figure. But, like, um, Robin Campillo, who had just directed um, BPM... Is on this jury: Yorgos Lanthimos, Pavel Pavlikowski, Kelly Reichert, Alicia Rohrwacher, Elle Fanning as the like, you know, uh, representative of the actress class, and um, 
uh, certainly the American representative. Sometimes they'll just like throw in an American actor just to be like, this is somebody you've heard of. But like, I'm fascinated. I would love to talk about, to talk to Al Fanning about her experiences on this jury. Like, what an incredible, um, uh, what an incredible experience this must have been for her. <laughs> I think that's where. Maybe she actually, I, I think they're not really allowed to talk about the votes, but I thought that she had mm-hmm. said something indicative of that jury really loving the Dardenne movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the rumor was they were going to give that mm. the palm. Okay, so... Um, Wild to me. Uh, Les Miserables, which is not an adaptation of the musical, but a uh, crime... Over the Victor Hugo novel. Right. <laughs> Uh, it's a crime thriller. It's sort of like like how Lady Macbeth, Florence Pugh, the Florence Pugh Lady Macbeth has nothing right, to do right, with Lady right, Macbeth. Right, right. Um, but this is a contemporary sort of crime uh, thriller directed by Lodge Lai. Lodge Lee. Lodge Lee, thank you. Um, what would I do without you? <laughs> For these pronunciations. <laughs> um, but what happens there is... That film becomes the French official French submission for the Academy Award, and interestingly, it wins the jury prize at Cannes, which is the bigger prize, and is much more appreciated by the French industry. I watched it because it did. Obviously, it got the nomination at the Oscars. I watched it as I was sort and it of does well throughout the season, cleaning too, up. Like, well, I, 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 I sort of jotted everything down there, and I'll talk about that in a second. But like having watched Les Miserables in the sort of hectic, gotta finish everything rush of the end of Oscar season was maybe not the best uh, atmosphere to watch it. But I also like, I don't think it did a ton for me, and I didn't like it. Um, I can respect the kind of craftsmanship. I think Lodge Lee could be a really interesting director, though his follow-up, Le Indesirable or something mm-hmm. like that, at TIFF this year. Didn't talk to a single person who saw it. Oh, interesting. Didn't hear anything about it. Um, which, I mean, you know, going from being yeah. a can darling yes. to yeah. debuting a movie at TIFF is not... Right, right. You know. But so, the writings on the wall. because Les Miserables gets the French uh, selection, of course, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is not eligible anymore for the Oscar. But if you track through the major foreign language film awards through that season, Oscar, BAFTA, The Globes, the Independent Spirit Awards, Critics' Choice, four movies really sort of stand out there. Obviously, Parasite, which was a by that point a phenomenon, which was well on its way to winning Best Picture, uh, Pain and Glory, Almodovar's Pain and Glory, which also got Antonio Banderas his first Oscar nomination. Uh, Les Miserables was on four of those five. Uh, I think Parasite, I think everything was on four of five, right? Pain and Glory, four or five. Yeah, so Parasite was on four of those five lists. Pain and Glory was, Les Miserables was, Portrait of the Lady on Fire was. And then it was sort of like, well, what's your wild card spot? And uh, the Globes chose The Farewell because they can choose American movies that are in foreign languages. The Critics' Choice went with Atlantics. God, we have to really respect The Critics' Choice for that one, don't we? I Feels know. unusual. The Indie Spirits, being the Indie Spirits, sort of had a different rubric. So they had The Souvenir, uh, The Invisible Life of Eurydice Guzmão, and Which got abbreviated to Invisible Life. That was the... 
I mean, I have this tab open. I can double check. But I think that's the uh, Uncertain Regard winner. It is. That is a movie that I have uh, often told people they need to check out. That's a really good movie. Um, did that also, also have Mares, a... Uh, Carol Duarte is great in it. Did that also have a thematic connection to the Greek myth of Eurydice, which would have made for... I am not great on Greek literature. Because they so, talk about that, classics. obviously, in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. They talk about the story of Eurydice. And this was, of course, the same year that Town opened on Broadway. So this was a a big year for old Eurydice and Orpheus. So uh, good for them. Uh, Invisible Life is just a great movie that I would tell people to watch. Uh, cameo by Fernando Montenegro from uh, Central Station. The Oscars went with a film called Corpus Christi that I definitely saw and remember almost nothing about. I um, definitely did not like it. Honeyland was the double nominee in documentary and foreign language film, and I really liked that one. I thought Honeyland was really good. I um, love when that happens. Yes. Anymore, like, documentaries are leaning more and more international with the Oscars in recent years, too, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a potential for that to happen again this year. There is. Four Daughters is eligible. Four Daughters is so good. I saw that. I saw that you really liked it. I Um, really did. I liked it a lot. Yeah. 20 Days of Mariupol is also uh, on both. I love a movie like Four Daughters where it's just like, we're going to put people from different life experiences and different generations in a room and even though the thing they are here for is not to have conversations about like stuff, they're just going to have those conversations anyway. And it's going to be like really illuminating and fascinating. And just like, that's that whole movie to me. Like the, the superstructure of the reenactments and whatever is almost secondary to just like just putting all of those women in a room together and having them talk. And I agree that that is. Uh, one of the most powerful things about that movie. For me, it never kind of transcended its artifice. It felt like as powerful as it was, it was kind of like dragging the artifice with it. I can't... I can understand. I, I see what you're saying. And like, I I, I, I get that. Yeah. There's a, there's a way that like movies have done these like... Yeah. Uh, hybrid fictionalization, the Oppenheimer movies, things, you uh, know, like Vardis. Joshua Oppenheimer's movies, yeah, 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 yeah. active killing, um, yeah, in a way that like that felt so much more like a- mm-hmm. at a certain point, yeah, you just buy the reality of what you're watching. But I almost feel like that, that was artifice. a conduit towards to having these conversations, and maybe that was like a happy yeah. accident, whatever. But like either way, it really worked for me. So. We'll talk about that more in the future. Um, as we are rounding the two-hour mark. Um, <laughs> but I think the reception at Cannes for this movie and the, doubled with the fact that it doesn't end up being the French submission mm-hmm. builds a reputation. And this is partly why it's I b- think became so popular online because uh, everyone roots for an underdog online. Mm-hmm is that this movie is kind of a cause of getting it its own due. Um, Mm -hmm. To the point that I am surprised that it didn't, specifically for Claire Mathon as a cinematographer. Yeah. I had forgotten how much we were mentioning her name that year. Yeah. To the point that it is really surprising that 
she didn't get a cinematography nomination. She also shot Atlantics, which is a movie that somehow looks even better yeah. than this movie does. Um, I'm glad you brought up the cinematography, though, because, and I say that, I just said we're rounding the two-hour mark, but I did want to. <laughs> I made a list of all of the cinematography nominees at the Oscars since 2000 from foreign language, like from for, from international features. So, uh, okay. Um, and I wanted to see how many of them you could guess off the top uh, of the dome. I will say God. that one, two, three of them were Best Picture nominees in that year. One, two, three, four of them were the winners of the Foreign Language Film International Feature Oscar that year. And three of them were Lone Director nominees. So maybe that can give you a little bit of a head start. Okay. I feel like I might have had a lot of those examples. Amelie. Amelie is one of them. Yep. Cold War. Cold War is one of them. All Quiet on the Western Front. Correct. Uh, a Very Long Engagement. Yep. Um, which, does that even really count as international? Because Warner Brothers funded some. Close enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, close enough. Uh, Ida. Yep. Uh, Parasite wasn't, should have been. Right. Uh... Where am I? How am I? How am I? You've gotten did I say five all quiet of on the sixteen. Western front? You did say all quiet on the Western Front. You've gotten five of sixteen. There are definitely two more Best Picture nominees. Okay. That so from international features that would be one of them won Best Director. Oh, Roma. Yep. Uh some of these have to be earlier in the two thousands too. One of um, them won. Oh, House of Flying Daggers. Yep. Uh, Crouching Tiger. I was going to say, good, follow that back to its, uh, uh, yeah, natural point. Um, there has to be, oh, White Ribbon. Yep. You still need two more loan directors. Mm. One of them Lone was directors. like a shockingly surprising. Oh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Diving Bell and the Butterfly is one. One was a shocking... Like, we had forgotten about this movie. City of God. City of God, yep. Um, One of them is kind of surprising that it wasn't a lone director nominee, considering that we both assumed that it would have been a Best Picture nominee in that year, if it had been 10. Interesting. From said Amelie, so it's not Amelie. From somebody who would eventually win Best Picture and Best Director. Oh, in, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Yep, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay, so you're missing one, two, three, four, one of which was also a director who would win Best Director, not for this movie, who had already won Best Director. Had already won Best Director before this cinematography nomination? Yes. You liked this movie more than the consensus. How interesting. So uh, this has got to be semi-recent. Yes, very recent. And a cinematography nomination. What am I forgetting? Its only nomination was a cinematography nomination. Yeah, the lone cinematography nomination that kind of sticks out of like a th sore thumb that I can't get my brain past is The Lighthouse. That doesn't count. Right. Um, this one, you... Um, this is a two-time Best Director nominee. That's going to give it to you right away. Oh, okay. Or two-time Best, Best Director, Director winner, sorry. Two-time Best Director winner. 
It's going to go. Oh, okay. So, Quaron? Nope. Um. Oh, uh, Bardo. Bardo. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Like- so, you're missing three of them, one of which was directed by, like, an all time great uh, world cinema director. One of which. It's kind of forgotten because it was the same year as a sort of surprise lone director uh, nominee, and this one was sort of also in cinematography with it. And the other one was starring somebody whose vocal inflections we parody on this podcast a lot. <laughs> Brenda Blethen. No. But think of, like, what have we talked about a lot on this podcast episode, this week's podcast episode? French people. Oh, so a French person. No, but, like, but why were we talking about French? Why, what, what's in France? French people. Like, what event? The Tour de France. No. Cannes, the, the Cannes Film Festival. Yes, so who have we talked about their vocal patterns in relation to the Cannes Film Festival a lot? Oh, Monica Bellucci. Yeah. So... What Monica Bellucci? Uh, Milena? Milena. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So two more. Two more. Um who directed this movie? This was such a forgotten movie, even though it was like um I feel like it was a surprise nominee for cinematography, but like not that much of a surprise. I didn't really like this movie very much. Um Oh, right. Its director has, like, a comedically long name, and definitely I include Florian Henkel von Donner's mark never looked There you go. That movie sucks. That movie is bad. Yeah, I didn't like it. Like, it's not... It's shot by, like, Caleb Deschanel? I think that's probably right. I think that's right. Um, all right. I did not even think it looked particularly good. Um... Last one. A, a giant in terms of world cinema. Um... Right. Um, it's yeah, not like it was Caleb Deschanel, by the way. You're right. Um, it was, it was a very well-reviewed movie, but you never think about it and like name this person's like five signature movies. You don't really like think about it in that way, but can I get the country? It's China or Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, it's gotta be Christopher Doyle for... What? Oh, it's the Grandmaster. It's the Grandmaster. It's Philippe Lesourd for the Grandmaster. Oh, Philippe Lesourd. Yeah, right. Yes, it was Hong Kong's uh, entry for foreign language film uh, that year. Right. Uh, but it did not get nominated. Um, so, yes. Got all of them. Claire Mathon would have deserved. It's. Uh, yeah. I think this is also the flattening of yep. what is nominated for craft categories. Mm-hmm. That's part of that problem because joker's nominated and yeah the lineup is 1917 the irishman joker the lighthouse and once upon a time in hollywood i mean i know you don't like the cinematography in 1917 but like that would be not i don't think that's a flattening nomination i think that is that's no 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 no, that's a showboaty kind of a thing yeah that's a personal taste yeah. thing of why I don't like it. It makes perfect sense that it's there. It makes perfect sense that it wins. I think in the same way, I would not have nominated The Irishman because I don't think there's anything particularly remarkable about The Irishman. But like, it's Rodrigo Prieto doing cinematography for Martin Scorsese. Like, that'll get nominated this year too. I, I would say it's much more deserving this year. But anyway, 
I don't even really get behind the lighthouse being nominated there, though. I love that the lighthouse is an Oscar nominee. I was going to say it's such a light. It's more indicative of the fact that it's in black and white than it is Mm -hmm. anything about the look and feel of that movie. It's uh, it's it's laziness in this branch that they just fall for the black and white movie. I love Robert Richardson's cinematography on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But if you bumped that for for a portrait of a lady on fire, I would not have like been up in arms. I would have said maybe bump Joker instead. But um, the the oh yeah one hundred percent bump Joker yeah um th- the category is three times better yes with her placement here if you replace any of these nominees agreed agreed yeah all right any last thoughts before we um I guess we didn't talk about Parasite a lot but like the thing about Parasite was like that was where Neon put all of their efforts towards. The Oscars. And again, same for clemency. When we talk about clemency, it's when we talk about like movies that A24 didn't campaign for in 2016. It's like, well, they went for Moonlight and they were right to do so. And same with Neon. It's like, well, like they put all their effort behind Parasite, a movie that was such a long shot. There are so many movies you don't under like you do. If you're listening to this, you understand you're a freak like us. But like, (laughs) I think in about 10 years, it's going to be hard to remind people that like, you don't understand how many good movies were completely sort of out of hand dismissed as an Oscar contender because they were X, Y, and Z, right? They were they were not in the English language. They were mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, subjects that aren't traditional Oscar fare, or they were, you know, so many different things. But certainly in the case of Parasite, you would have absolutely had a Cannes Film Festival where everyone's like, yes, Parasite's absolutely the best film. Too bad it won't be nominated at the Oscars because it's in, you know, it's not in the English language. And it would have gotten shunted to international feature, and that's all there is to it. And kudos to Neon for knowing what they had there, that that was a particular subject matter and execution. And a just, they knew that they had a crowd pleaser on their hands. That's the thing about Parasite is, it's not... You're not eating your vegetables watching Parasite. You're going on a ride. You know what I mean? And they kept the furnace fed on that movie mm-hmm. constantly. That The yeah. gas never let up on that movie. Mm-hmm. And like it almost kind of needed that. To, I feel like, I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back. I feel like I was one of the earliest to call it for Parasite that year. My, that I was like, you just look at the reaction that that movie receives in the room. And yeah. you hear these reports of like all of the Parasite people get swarmed. And it's like. It's Brad Pitt swinging yeah. them. Like, Hollywood ignored movie stars to pay attention to the makers of this movie. Like, uh-huh. I didn't want to bring it up on this episode, but um, my good, good friend, Tony Smith, um, oh. ye- early, early that season, I have a text from him, which he would continuously send me screenshots of. Um, proving that like so early in the season he's like Parasite is winning Best Picture so I owe it to him to give him that credit well you know great movie Parasite I rewatched it a few months ago just on a whim kind of and I like as I'm like starting the movie I was like oh god I hope in this watch I don't feel that thing that sometimes you feel that it's like We everybody went all in on this yeah. thing, and you yeah. know, yep. it maybe even if it's still great, it doesn't live up to how all in we went in. Yep, yep. On that I know movie. what you mean. I know what you mean. 
Yep. Yeah, no, we were absolutely right to go all in as much as we were on Parasite. That movie still Rips. fucking bangs Rips. As, yep. as much as it did the first time you saw it. Yeah, like, absolutely. All right. Good episode, Chris. You know what? Good episode on a good movie. Good movie. Yep. Absolutely. It was in the unfortunate position uh, tenfold uh, in so many ways, but I do think this is one we love. Oh, before we go, yes. I do want to talk about the <laughs> 2022 Sight and Sound poll. Okay. Where this movie got shit on so much for, first of all, it's not a bunch of people in a room sitting together and deciding on things right. separately. This movie got enough votes on the sight and sound poll, which like is significant. They do it every 10 years. And like, I think it's useful just as a way of like, how has the canon changed? What has been invited into the canon? And sure. what ended up being invited to the canon was a lot more movies made by women directors. And including Chantal Ackerman's Jean Dielman winning number one and leading to people like Paul Schrader complaining that there's like I hate to you uh, to say to even say woke as a pejorative in the way yeah, that they no, use it I know as a pejorative because oh it's uh, it's apparently just woke to say that I don't know women exist and make movies shut up all of you but like. I have no Portrait issue. Portrait of a Lady on Fire got lumped into some of that, but it's also like that it ranks number 30 of all time, and it's this brand new movie, that, That's I don't want to—I'm not going to sign up for, for whatever. I don't care about Sean Dillman. I don't. Like, that's number one. Great. Like, work. Party. You know what Jean I mean? Sean Dillman, I think, is a, incredibly I have no issue. I have no issue with that. That's I have no issue with people expressing their taste in that way. My thing about Portrait of a Lady on Fire is number 30 is I have such, I'm so itchy when it comes to that kind of recency bias because I know that like there's no possible way to have any kind of perspective on that. I think any kind of list right. like that should put in a barrier of at least five years where like you cannot vote for anything more recent than five years. And I know that like the whole point of the poll is to be as unfettered as possible to see, like like you say, where the canon is at and where our lines are moving. And I think that's all very well and good. I just I get itchy when I see something like that. I'm like, you can't you can't it say that about a movie that's a movie new. like this too, because then of course, yeah, any any of the naysayers the next time that it's done, they're gonna look and see yeah. where this ranks in the hopes of dogging on it. You know, it doesn't right. serve the movie. Um, well, and then it puts that like unconscious thing in the back of your mind of if you are filling out a ballot of, you know, that you that you are now thinking of a handful of movies being like, oh, God, there's going to be a big deal about like where this thing is placed. Like when they do the next sight and sound poll, you're not going to be able to either vote for or not vote for Jean Dielman without having it in your mind that like. What Same is this thing going to say? To Citizen Kane, too. Yes. That it's yeah. like everybody gets so show me about Citizen Kane yeah. being AFI's number one movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, but that's my only thing. It's just like it's you can't I you know, it's so it's, it's so recent. Uh, I do I do think that there is something that doesn't help the movie to allow because, like, I think people would have had the same complaints about if Parasite had ranked that high. Agreed. It's just, like, people are going to yeah. be unfair to Parasite or any other movie that's that recent, mm -hmm. you know? Agreed. And, like, this movie doesn't deserve that because this is a great movie that deserves 
great things. All right. Joe, would yeah. you like to explain the IMDb game? Oh, yeah. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-action credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. It's the IMDb game. Sure are is. you giving or guessing first? Are you lighting the fire, or are you the logs which are being lit? I don't know. I, sure. Um, I, you go first, because I gotta find, I gotta refind mine. Um, oh, okay. So, no, I got it, but yeah, you go first. <laughs> oh, well, what would you prefer, then? You go first. Okay, okay. So, for you, I looked across various women who have been in on fire in movies. Uh, obviously, we have done Katniss Everdeen, The Girl on Fire. Sure. Jennifer Lawrence previously. So I chose for you uh in previous roles uh on fire, Miss Fomka Johnson. Oh god. The Phoenix herself, Dark Phoenix. Um Okay, Fomka Johnson is gonna be No television, so no highly problematic Nip-tuck. roles on Nipta. Can I tell you problematic or not she fucking ripped in that. She slayed she slayed, she slayed. like in two th- in a 2006 Very slay kind of or whatever yep. in this like yep. wow there is a reason why Nipta's is like not on streaming. <laughs> okay, so here's the here's the triangulation that I'm going to go with with Fomka is there's at least one X-Men movie, there could be as many as 3. I don't know if you would have given me Fomka if there were 3, which makes me think there's 2. Um, there's also her Bond movie. There's also uh, Taken. But in both of those cases, well, I don't know. She might be second build in Taken, honestly. Um, Isn't she in like a cast all of Taken? I've never seen those movies. What's that? And she's no, in only one of them, she's in a cast. Um, I think it's just the first one. Anyway, I'm going to say X2 X Men United incorrect fuck off all right (laughs) uh the first x-men yes correct okay 2000s x-men goldeneye goldeneye correct xenia on On the top um take what a crunch i mean like i love it like uh honestly legend but like the crunchiest bond girl name oh i know like yeah it's very, and it's like they might as well have named her Xenia Horny or like Xenia Fuck. As with like, many things, the Austin Powers movie up. really killed, like Christmas Jones tries it, but like the Austin Powers movie really killed the ability to name a Bond girl as a pun. Like once you've done a lot of Fachina, like you really can't. You really can't go back. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do think Ivana Humpalot is still very funny. It's very funny. Day. It is. It's very funny. Um, okay, I'm going to guess Taken. Incorrect. All right, give me years. years. Your years are 1999 and 2006. Okay, 2006 is X-Men, uh, X-Men 3, X-Men The Last Stand. Correct. All right, 99. Oh, is it like The House on Haunted Hill? 
House on Haunted Hill. Wild. Wild and crazy. Okay, House on Haunted Hill, I definitely recorded off of pay-per-view when I was younger and watched it constantly. Mm-hmm. Watched it for the first time in 20 years recently. That movie is bad. Yeah, it's not good. And it should stupid. be it should be so good. And it's it so be not so good. fun. Mm-hmm. And it looks like shit. It's not fun. Uh-huh. There were a lot of movies, that was around the time they did The Haunting, obviously, which was, like, notoriously bad, where they, like, they really tried to remake a lot of those really fun Vincent Price, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's-his-name, um... I will always William stand up Castle for the Castle kind of movies. I will always stand up for Dark Castle. Yeah. Just as a vibe. But, like, but so many of them, like, squandered the opportunity. They were, like, remaking House of Wax the way they did. I'm just like, good lord. Remaking House of Wax is torture porn. I was like, what a fucking waste of, you know, whatever. All right, anyway. Um, anyway. Whomst for me. Whomst for you. So, I transitioned from Portrait of a Lady on Fire to The Portrait of a Lady. And can I tell you... We have done IMDb games on everybody in the cast of The Portrait <laughs> of a Lady, where I'm like, Shelly Winters? Yes, bitch, we did Shelly Winters. Like, okay. But the one person who somehow we haven't is little baby Christian Bale, who's in that movie as uh, oh, interesting. as a wee one. So hit me with... Now, these ones... I'm going to see if you can hit this four for four, because I will just say right off the bat, these are not obscure films. Sure. Well, I wouldn't have thought they would be obscure, but I- Like, you're not getting like the machinist for- in here. I mean, that's not- Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. American Psycho. No. Okay, so right off the bat, it's a no. Um, I would have thought that would have really hit the algo for the mm-hmm. uh, not- uh, broadly speak on people but for the uh white guy and their parents basement demographic wow okay um uh even though i don't think that that's like the demo for that movie they love it um the dark knight correct the dark knight i do think that there's going to be something weird oscary happening here and that i think it's possible the fighter is not there but the big short is not the big short two strikes all right your years off 2005, 2010, and 2013. 2005, 2010, and 2013. Yes. So, 2010 is the fighter? Yes, the fighter. His Oscar. I would have thought something weird would have happened there. Um... So, no more Batman. Well, Batman Begins? Yes. 05? Yes, Batman Begins is 05. So... 2013 it's gonna be a significant movie so it's not like out of the furnace right uh, it would be hilarious if out of the furnace was on it would anyone's be. known for it would be um but it's not another batman no it's not it's too soon to be vice or any other no it's american hustle there you go it is american hustle yes interesting his worst oscar nomination american hustle um i american hustle defender can on paper get behind that nomination but absolutely not in that year no yeah that's 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 even worse about it it's just like that year Ugh. 
All right. Well done, Chris. Good job. We did it. We did it. This girl is on fire. Yeah. Uh, we love French cinema. <laughs> we in our Patreon selects month. Yes. Might not be our last French movie. No, maybe not. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, either way, that's our episode. Yes. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz on Instagram at this had Oscar buzz and on Patreon at patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Joe, yeah. where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, letterboxed, uh, blue sky. I am at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R E I D. Uh, I am on Twitter and letterboxed at Chris V file. That's F E I L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mavius for their technical guidance, Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with on Apple Podcasts with visibility. So if you're living in a world and it's a flame, <laughs> give us that five stars. <laughs> Uh, that's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Oh, she got-